Endangered Part 12 by LTPC. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allows members to request future stories and themes. Thank you for listening. This podcast contains mature content and is intended for an adult audience only. It contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of all stories is fiction with any similarities to real people or events being purely coincidental. This podcast is not intended for anything but entertainment of the listener, and if you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. Chapter 12 Chris was bumped out of a deep slumber with a muffled groan, roused by the restless stirrings of the small, warm figure in his arms. Wonderfully drowsy moments followed as he pulled the naked sprite closer under the covers. Eyes closed, it felt amazing to just lie there, warm and content. Unfortunately, his own tired body soon began to protest. It hadn't moved late either, and overworked muscles across his shoulders, back, and arms now demanded a proper stretching. That's what happened after Lillian wanted an evening sparring session to work out some stress. He paid the price in stiffness the next day. Damn, she was worth it though. Other parts of him that weren't currently stiff, and had nothing to do with combat training, were also tender after their vigorous, passionate cooldown. Oh, um, ouch. Chris grunted as Emmy shuffled again this time thrusting an obstreperous blue wing joint right into his lips. He was decidedly awake now, turning his abused face into the comfort of a cooler expanse of pillow, smacking his smarting lips experimentally. His movement set off a chain reaction of sleepy protests from both mates. Chris smiled guiltily, tempted to do it again just to hear them grumble so cutely. From behind, Annabelle snaked a hand across his abdomen, burrowing her nose into his shoulder blade. He sighed ruefully, grinning as he blinked his eyes open. Such were the delights and trials of having two lovely companions in bed. It both lived up to his wildest fantasies and robbed him of much-needed sleep. With an enormous yawn, he carefully extracted his arm from underneath Emmy's head to rub at his mouth. His body couldn't be ignored now, moving just felt too good. Flexing into an enormous stretch, he unleashed an inarticulate growl of lazy pleasure. Delicious tension eased from his muscles, triggering a cascade of shivers all the way down to his toes. Of course, this disruption drew even more murmured protests, even a reprisal slap on his naked tummy. Oof. He grunted at the unexpected discipline, but she was already rubbing it better. You're the worst middle spoon in history. Annabelle murmured groggily, butting her head gently against the base of his neck. Sorry. Chris rumbled, focusing sleepy eyes through a gap in the dark bedroom curtains. Emmy poked me with a wing again. By the diffuse light from street lamps below their apartment, he could just make out the flurry of hazy flakes flailing past in the pre-dawn night. The wind howled spookily, tugging at the building in a credible attempt to uproot their cozy little bedroom. That's no excuse. Is that so? He challenged, stretching once again. His throaty noises morphed into an elongated moan of satisfaction as nerves all through his body accepted signals of gratitude from reawakening muscles. His bladder took the opportunity to make its needs felt, not urgently, but headed firmly in that direction. Well, I'm awake now. Chris? Emmy frowned adorably up at him in the dim light, finally woken by all the jostling as he reached over her to drink from his water bottle on the nightstand. It's okay, pet. Chris assured as he settled back down between them. Go back to sleep. Your fault. Annabelle groaned, reaching across him to vindicatively pinch at a perfect blue globe of Emmy plush little butt. A.I.E. The sprite jolted under the blankets, rolling away from the unprovoked attack into the colder portion of their large bed. What was that for? Geez, Annabelle, you're a cranky customer this morning. Chris intervened, pinning the marauding arm firmly with one of his own. Consolingly, he reached toward the confused sprite with the other. Sorry, Emmy, I woke her up after you bumped me and now she's being a grouch. Come here, and I'll give you a head rub for a bit before I have to get up. M.H.H.H. Emmy scowled warily curling into a ball against the chill. 
She watched for any further attack sallying over the other side of the dragon wall as she contemplated the offer before finally agreeing. Okay, I do love a good head rub. What about mine? Annabelle complained drowsily. If you get one, that's subject to good behavior. Chris warned, releasing her hand on parole to collect Amy's long, loose braid of midnight blue hair as she scuttled gratefully back into his warmth. She scooted in close, eye to eye this time as his big hand trailed down her back, finding and releasing the silken scrunchie that kept all her beautiful tresses manageable at night. She was growing fast, but he could still cup her head in a single hand. That always made her seem fragile to him, breakable, despite a wealth of evidence to the contrary. Hmm. Mamister. Emmy shuddered out a quiet breath as he lazily teased out her hair on the pillows, running fingers delightfully across her scalp. Her head nestled perfectly on his warm bicep. His skillful digits followed the river of deep blue down her neck, combing across her back and between her folded wings. His other hand played up and down her side, cupping, caressing. Sometimes, as the fancy took him, he brought it all the way up and forward to ghost across the swell of her breasts. He taunted her awakening nipples manningly with featherlight brushes. Such a tease kiss me. The sprite purred.so they kissed, languid and drowsy. Under the covers they hid, sharing the warmth of lovers as outside, the heart of winter prowled ever closer on freezing gusts. Behind them, Annabelle only managed a few moments of sleepy sulking before she sank back into the lapping waves of slumber. Predictably, it didn't take much of that sort of nookie to get two such lusty creatures irrepressibly aroused. Kissing Amy these days was a far more practical, enjoyable affair with her growing dimensions. Her loving coos and nimble little hands soon had him rising to the occasion. Once his erection made itself known by bumping into her calves, the lusty nymphette employed a skillful battle strategy, teasing him into a frenzy with delicate caresses of her dainty feet and the smooth heat of her legs. Chris groaned, his growing need to relieve himself only seemed to amplify his cock's sensitivity to her touch. He found her warm, perfect little slit in retaliation, reaching between her thighs to stroke and tease her dewy labia. Immy, stop! He finally hissed, tearing himself away from molesting the sweet-smelling blue skin of her neck with his lips. He didn't, however, remove his finger from the molten little crevice between her legs. The relaxing scalp rub was long forgotten. I don't want to make a mess in the covers. I'll... I'll clean up. She promised shakily. No, please, let me have it. Yeah, don't stop. Ugh. Wings shuddering, she cried out sweetly as his fingers found and danced across her stiff, fiery little nubbin. Her nails scratched across his chest as a healthy wave of pleasure rolled up her spine like a cresting swell, then crashed thunderously down to her curling azure toes. Master, I swear you're not leaving this bed for a week once I stuff this beautiful cock in me. Give it to me, please. Now. Amy. He pulled his hips backward as she tried to finish him with a quick rhythm between the softness of her calves. His excited cockhead throbbed, spurting a slippery warning up across blue, silken thighs. Fine. Um. I hate this. Hurry up and make me grow faster, it's not fair. The little princess pounded her fists against his arm to drive the injustice home. Reluctantly she relinquished her throbbing prize from between her legs. She smiled suddenly, a wicked idea blossoming inside her. Annabelle, wake up. Time to get to work. What? Chris wondered, squeezing his cock below the helmet to release some sensitivity. It's still early. But Emmy was already pushing, rolling him over toward Annabelle, clambering on top of him as he went. Hold her arms up. The sprite bossed, muffled by the covers. She pounced on the groggy brunette before Annabelle knew what was coming. Emmy. It was Annabelle's turn to protest now as the sprite twined around her, attached like a lusty limpet. Intrigued, Chris captured his first hands in his own before she could rally a defense. He was excited by the indignant shrieks, tousled bed hair, and hinted, wrestling shapes under the covers. Let me go, Chris. Don't you dare dash. She cut off, struggling mightily as Emmy did God knows what out of sight beneath the rapidly overheating bedding. I think I'll allow it. He chuckled evilly from behind, teasing his teeth over the pale, soft skin of her scrumptiously feminine tricep. Seems to me like payback is only fair. She's pawing at me, Chris. I swear to God I'll Annabelle's hissing cut off as Emmy's little toes poked up out of the covers by their chins. The indignant young woman stopped struggling, and a contemplative smile crossed her lips. Hmm, I guess that's not so bad. What's going on under there? Chris smirked, freeing one of her hands to lift the blankets. He couldn't really see the details, 
but his imagination filled in the blanks. Warm, pungent woman hit his sensitive nose. She has an industrious little tongue, doesn't she? Uh-huh. Annabelle's eyelids fluttered, and her body relaxed in his grip. She knows just how to use it, too. Is that a dig? He frowned slightly, concerned that he might have been neglecting his oral duties. That simply wouldn't do, not a dragon. You know I like going down dash, hush. She moaned, turning her head to kiss him as her free hand worked its way down to the enormous, almost erect cock that was draping itself across her backside. She squeezed gently at his spongy knob, rhythmically, just the way he liked. It responded predictably. You do just fine, babe, but your true talent is right here. Sometimes a girl wants a good rug munching, and sometimes she just wants a dick, you know? All the time. He challenged cockily, sawing his rampant penis between the firm, creamy buns of his fiancée's spectacular behind. Why choose? Annabelle giggled, opening her legs for him as Emmy tugged gently on her pubic hair and gently kissed her exposed, sensitive sex. She huffed under the sprite's assault as a drumbeat of achy knee began thumping somewhere deep in her tummy. Her inner muscles were squeezing down in anticipation, her vagina was still unbearably empty. Spoken like a dragon. Chris nibbled teasingly at the base of her neck. Annabelle arched her back under the covers, pushing his girthy meat downward to meet her pink, juicy frill. Fuck me already. Emmy did the honors, raising Annabelle's upper leg high, holding his daunting hardness in place as he nudged his way inside her. She smiled, hearing her mistress groan whorishly through the muffling covers as she was spread wide, hips bucking backward for more. Her master was gentle, slowly feeding more and more of his magnificent cock into her mistress as Emmy played hands and tongues strategically over their tight, pungent coupling. Her mistress took him so easily. It really wasn't fair, and she punished Annabelle with merciless attention to her lust-throbbing clit. Emmy was about to finally stuff her face into the musky heat of his slowly rocking balls when a big hand reached up her leg and insinuated itself boldly between her thighs. The sprite moaned her appreciation against the sawing root of his shaft as a finger probed at her own neglected, wet little box. Her plans for testicular suffocation were momentarily put on hold as she arched and shivered in the moment of thick penetration. Then she shrieked as a second, slimmer digit wormed its way undeniably inside her up against the first. It was much more than she was accustomed to, but she was thrilled that they were both inside her. Her mistress's thumb found her too, and it was suddenly all too much for Emmy as Annabelle returned the favor, swirling gently but relentlessly over Emmy's wet little love button. Listen to her come. Annabelle giggled as the sprite thrashed and squeaked under the comforter. It's fucking adorable how sexy tough she plays, but then she comes apart on a hair trigger. She's not the only one on a hair trigger right now. Chris protested, doing his best not to explode, his dick bathed lavishly in liquid vaginal bliss. Ensconced deep in the snug warmth of Annabelle's creamy pussy, he was having a deliciously hard time holding off. They weren't moving all that much, but she was milking him on purpose, slowly clamping and releasing inner muscles with wondrous hidden strength. I'm going to. D, slow down, stop. That's the whole point. Came her sing-song reply as her hand slid possessively onto his butt, encouraging him to churn his way to bliss in her moist, hot folds. Biting her lip at him over her shoulder, Annabelle thrust backward even as she pulled him deeper, inching undeniably toward her thirsty womb. All the way, babe. Don't you dare stop. Yes, ah, fuck, you're a fucking machine. Do it, do it, that's it. I want every last drop, Chris. His whole body shook, cock swelling, hot and heavy as molten iron. There was no way to resist. Her nubal cunt was humping him in perfect rhythm, and her words were just the sort of shit he knew he shouldn't love so much but did anyway. In a guttural exhalation, he swelled, pulsing mightily inside her. Abdomen shuddering, his full bladder added its own brand of pleasurable torture, as viscous seed began racing up his cock in wonderful spasms. With a gasp, he felt it belch forth, thick, hot, and full of potent magic. Yes. Hun. Chris, oh Jesus, yes. Annabelle moaned, shivering in delight as his warmth bloomed within. Her own unstoppable orgasm flowed lazily over her, sweat doing across her skin under the suddenly stifling duvet. Her legs kicked, almost cramping. Bartholomew was going crazy on her tummy, but she had only one thought as he throbbed out more and more chunky, sticky ropes against her magically enhanced cervix. Dragon and May thought alike, pressing firmly together, all primal grunts and grasping hands. Their spoon position wasn't the best, but they made it happen. He took her hips harshly, she spurred her nails into his behind and shoved backward, 
flattening her own buttocks against his hips. The sprite was dislodged, momentarily forgotten as his spewing cocks slipped effortlessly, wonderfully deeper. Magically made possible, the dragon claimed the scalding crucible of her fertile womb. Annabelle screamed wordlessly, seeing stars as he filled and flooded her like one of his dragonesses. She could feel every throb of that fat, peach-like helmet, so deep and hot inside her. He took her, affirming their bond in the most primitive, undeniable, and extraordinarily enjoyable way. Chris growled in turn, hips churning into her like a wild dog on a farmer's prize bitch. His cock seethed with every gout of successfully delivered seed, orgasmic impulses racing up and down his length that he couldn't help himself, suddenly rolling on top of her, crushing her slim body into the bed as he grabbed her shoulders and just started lunging at her upturned bottom with everything he had. Blood rushed in his ears, drowning out Annabelle's obscene demand that he fill her good little pussy right the fuck up. His eyes squeezed tight as ecstasy and release throbbed through every cell, he really didn't need the encouragement. It was all he could do not to breed her then and there, to the musical, unintelligible notes of her pleasure mingling with the bass grunts of his own. Reproductive instinct gradually faded with his orgasm, but his abused bladder began screaming all the louder. He was still panting, clinging desperately to Annabelle as he felt Immy impatiently nudging his legs apart. The hungry little fiend tried to worm her tongue under his balls, eager to claim the sticky, magic-rich treat that was already leaking from their pulsing coupling. He smiled, after setting him up like this, how could he begrudge her ravenous ways? Besides, lovely as it might be to stay ensconced inside Annabelle as they recovered together, nature really was calling now. With a kiss and a whisper of thanks against her rosy neck, Chris carefully extracted his throbbing, cream-streaked cock and left his two ladies to their sapphic debauchery. He rushed for the bathroom, barely making it before his bladder gave way. The release found there wasn't quite as profound, but it was profoundly appreciated nonetheless. When he'd cleaned himself up, and the tiles surrounding the toilet, he prepared a fresh, warm washcloth and returned to bed. Annabelle welcomed him back, taking the cloth appreciatively but holding off on its use. She was on her back, and under the covers, Amy was hard at work, the shape of her ass wiggling back and forth happily as she took her fill. I hope there's some left for Bartholomew. Chris joked as he tucked a sweat-damp lock behind Annabelle's ear, nibbling teasingly on her pale lobe. Immy seemed especially frisky. I'd be more worried about Susan if I were you. Annabelle shifted on her back, adjusting her legs slightly wider to let the sprite work. It's been what, a week and a half now? He didn't reply, stiffening as he sensed trouble. You're avoiding her, Chris. I think I'd go crazy if you refused to, well, hump me, for that long. I barely managed a few days when you put that enchantment on me. It's complicated. That's BS. I'm here for you, babe, it's me. Uncomplicated, and together we figure out how to move on. He sighed, trying to rally his thoughts on an issue he'd been dodging. He would rather not talk about it because he wasn't entirely comfortable, nor sure of his own reasoning. It's hard to. Susan's different now, Annabelle. Magically, emotionally, I think. My dragon is uneasy around her, plus there's the fact that my enchantments are gone completely. I don't even know if we could, you know, have sex properly. How exactly am I meant to bring that up non-awkwardly? Gone, master? Amy wriggled up Annabelle's front to join the conversation, her long hair now messy and adorably bedraggled. Annabelle captured her chin and wiped it clean with the washcloth before she let Amy collapse on her. Yeah. Chris reached over, tracing his hand up and down the curve of the sprite's back as she settled her head contentedly in the crook of Annabelle's neck. Whatever that thing is, it gobbles up magic like nobody's business. You've got some competition there, little one. I will face any challenge. Amy purred, a sleepy smile on her little lips. In a few hours. Talk to her, Chris. Annabelle implored, locking eyes to drive home her request. She's too ashamed to say anything, but I know she's pining for you. It must be eating her up inside. The intimacy you two had is a hard thing to lose all of a sudden. I will. He promised. I will. It's just that I've been so busy. About humping specifically, Chris. You've been plowing Claire like a farmer's best potato field, so you're not that busy. No wheedling out. It's very unbecoming for a dragon. I shit. I've been supportive, haven't I? I didn't want to rush into things after such a... Well, you know what I mean, right? That plant is mega creepy. Yes, babe, it is. And everyone agrees you've been great in every way but one. The one that counts. Emmy sniggered. Quiet you. Annabelle had to suppress a smile at her lover's antics. This was serious brood business. 
Chris, we're all here to help any way we can, but you can't avoid this. You need to show her she's still loved, still part of your brood, evil wooden tentacle thingies and all. I know, D. I just, okay, today. I'll talk to her today, that's a promise. Thank you. She leaned into him, kissing his lips softly. It was a gesture full of heartfelt affection. That kiss of hers had something about it that made him feel like he was a hot stack of pancakes, and she the delicious butter melting all over him. It was wholesome, it was great. Now I'll give you five more minutes of cuddle time, then you'd better get going. No point in wasting your valuable time if you're already up. Only five minutes? He complained. It's so early. I suppose you'll be getting up too? More magic practice? Hmm, too cold. Besides, we need our beauty sleep. Annabelle shook her head, smiling teasingly at him across the pillow. Her beautiful brown eyes looked so playful in the dim bedroom that Chris was tempted to try his luck and crawl on top of her again. Yeah. Immy agreed, patting her tummy under the covers. I'm a growing sprite, and I need my rest. Go build us a house or something. Peep 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 Chris exhaled through his lips like an exasperated equine. What do you think I've been doing all autumn? You'd think a hard-working dragon would get some appreciation here and there. You can't complain if you insist on keeping it some big mystery. Annabelle rebutted. Fine, fine. He admitted good-naturedly, giving them each one last peck before swinging his legs out of bed and sitting up. Be ready though, the big reveal is only days away. I wonder. His first purred leadingly, rolling lazily to watch as he headed for the bathroom again. What's that? He asked. I was thinking that the brood will have to put our heads together and come up with a suitable celebration, a private housewarming? He paused, looking wistfully back at the two bed-haired beauties grinning enticingly at him. Annabelle wriggled her eyebrows jauntily, mischief, love, and sex peeking up at him under the covers from lovely brown eyes. Right then he wanted nothing more than to snuggle back and beside them and let his responsibilities fade away for a day or two. Unfortunately, it just couldn't be E.I. in the steamy embrace of an invigorating shower. His imagination churned. What intriguing rewards might Annabelle and the girls come up with? Would they love the new house as much as he hoped? These and other thoughts delayed him, so that much of the household was up and about by the time he emerged. It seemed everyone was rising earlier these days. Chris suspected that it was a show of solidarity, at least on behalf of Claire, Petra, and Haley, whose schedules weren't nearly as full or regimented as his own. They certainly didn't need to be up at this early hour, but when he emerged, clothed and ready for the day, there they were, waiting to pounce. Chris held his breath as a pajama-clad, grabby dragoness snared him on the couch and tried to turn simple good-morning kisses into much more. Petra wasn't above using small wafts of her pheromones to overcome his resistance, but for now, he had firm control on his desires. There was the unspoken taste of competition hanging in the air. Sure enough, Claire tried her own tricks to keep him on the sofa with her too. Haley, he used as a brief respite, a safe shelter before he dove headlong into the midst of Hurricane Michelle Lillian. The studious young woman was up early, a mug of fragrant chocolate clutched in both hands as she reread the figures and equations she'd been working on the previous evening. Chris thought she looked simply adorable sitting there in a pink toweling robe, a stern frown of concentration on her brow. Dog-eared papers, scribbled flow diagrams, and a sketch or two clearly declared a section of the large dining room table hers. She held reign there in no uncertain terms whenever she stayed over. Chris couldn't wait to at least get her her own room. It was the very least she deserved. How's it going? He whispered near her ear, draping himself over her chair from behind. Smiling, Haley eagerly guided his arms around her, leaning up for a soft kiss as they hugged. I think I've cracked it. She enthused quietly. At least it's good enough to send away for review. Isabella said she knows some folks she can consult without giving away, you know, our magical goose. Miss Sybin. He protested jokingly, nuzzling aside the robe to get at the tender flesh above her irresistible collarbone. I'll have you know that as a dragon. I resent the unfavorable comparison to a honking barnyard bully. She began giggling and squirming at the ticklishness of his whisper-soft kisses and warm puffs of air. Chris, eek, stop. Stop. Haley gasped breathlessly, chest just starting to heave. Her next words were quiet, almost conspiratorial. I'm full, you'll make me let down. M-H-H-H-H. He growled low. You smell delicious. Let me greet the others, and then we'll go take care of that. Can you hold on? Uh-huh. But Chris, before you go off making plans for the day, 
can we please go over some of the math for my equations tonight? If you're going to be manipulating the orbs like this, I think you'll have to understand the underlying calculations and parameters on a very detailed level. Sure, Mini-Moo, how about after dinner? You'll have to be patient with me though, math was never my strong suit. It's okay. Haley leaned her head back against his shoulder, hands reaching up to trail through his shower damp hair. I managed to teach you a little particle physics, so there's hope yet. But remember we need gold, it's going to take a lot. Already on it. Okay, I'm going in, how are the waters this morning? Chris glanced up to the other end of the table where Michelle sat, diligently typing away on her laptop. His eyes tracked over to Lillian, who sat at the kitchen bar, glancing daggers at Michelle with all her voluptuous glory. When she caught him looking, the vampires quickly went back to scrolling through something on her phone, guilty as could be. Warmer today, I think. Whispered Haley as she glanced from one woman to the other. The icebergs are melting. Well, shit. Wish me luck. Chris felt Lillian watching him with those dark, hungry eyes as he left Haley and headed toward the kitchen. His path to the coffee-making supplies took him between the vampire and his human familiar, and he rightly sensed that it would be a mistake to greet either of them and thus invite a perceived favor. a possibly foolhardy show of neutrality. He breezed past the both of them, collected the parts of the espresso maker from a cupboard, and began assembling the little stovetop device. He forced himself to ignore his dragon's instincts, the warning tingle on his neck as he exposed his back to a moody bloodsucker. If she did pounce on him, it would probably be to devour him with kisses and love bites. Probably. There would still be an excruciating half-second of limbo, as she lunged through the air, where he wouldn't be able to tell. Lillian was deep in the midst of a vamp sulk that had already lasted two days. In an unfortunate turn of events, she'd been kept from claiming him on the evening she'd somewhat jokingly purchased from Michelle at great expense. Though the money apparently did change hands. He was still struggling with Lillian's wealth. Tithe wasn't in his vocabulary six months ago, let alone a few weeks. But it was Lillian's mounting shifts with Rayla that set them down this path, in Chris's opinion anyway. For amongst the recent inflow of migrants to Rayla's territory, a pair of unruly Warcat brothers were attempting to set up an ambitious little protection racket. The more vulnerable being merchants and craftsfolk had initially yielded to the sly new bullies, which only served to make them bolder. Other, more recently immigrated beings were easy targets too, unsure of the local customs and low on social connections to fall back on. But when Lillian came calling to adjust their attitudes on Rayla's behalf, they'd foolishly tried their luck at giving her a thumping. When cornered and without options, perhaps they saw it as an opportunity to raise their standing in the underground hierarchy. Lillian was forced to employ the controlled wrath of a 500-year-old vampiress. Though their teamwork and lightning-fast reflexes had been an invigorating test of her abilities, she'd left two huge leopards yowling and bruised in the basement of some construction site. She was impressed by the fight they'd put up. They were to inquire with Rayla's second, Timothy, for jobs, or get the hell out of town. After all, rival protection crews didn't tolerate trespass or competition well. If the two felines could crack heads so ambitiously to line their pockets, perhaps they could be convinced to do so more legitimately for Rayla.so. When Lillian returned home after midnight to find Michelle capitalizing on her absence, she'd flipped out a little. Okay, she'd lost it. Perhaps Chris could have used better judgment. But it turned out that Michelle could be remarkably persuasive in a sexy, hard-to-argue-with way. She almost came at him like a prosecutor, eroding away his defense from every angle with logic and evidence. They'd been mating furiously against the doorframe in Michelle's bedroom when they were caught red-handed out of course, in seducing him in Lillian's continued absence at 11 p.m. that fateful evening, Michelle hadn't done anything that Lillian wouldn't have done in a heartbeat, were they to exchange shoes. Lillian even admitted so afterwards, promising that she wasn't truly upset. However, her aggressive vampirism over the last few days told a slightly different story. At least Lillian's newly encouraged vampiric side had targeted him to vent the worst of her feelings and not Michelle, at least not physically. If it weren't for being a dragon, he would be sporting more than a few stiff muscle groups after their savage love-making last night. That wasn't even counting the sparring which came beforehand. This new Lillian was frightfully strong. He could handle that, barely. But he worried that the incident was derailing his progress with her vampiric side.so now he weathered the storm of Lillian's possessive brand of IRE.by wrote. He reached for a new foil packet of coffee grounds, ripping the top clean off. Rich, earthy coffee hit his senses like a moist, oncoming sea breeze. He inhaled deeply, thoughts of Lillian banished by olfactory overload. With his acute, draconic sense of smell, 
a fresh pack of coffee was a whole body experience to be enjoyed. It was almost a physical thing, as though someone had poured an entire Hessian sack full of fresh roasted beans into a wood chipper and aimed a shoot at his face. He could taste hints of a hundred flavors, from delicate hidden chocolate all the way through the palate to deep, satisfying bitterness. It was hard to resist. He brought it to his nose and drew in another breath, enjoying the sensory immersion. Lillian chose her moment correctly. Ayek! Chris yelped rather unmanfully as she slid her arms silently around his torso. From behind, her every curve molded warm against his back. She hugged him with arms seemingly made of steel cable. He tried to salvage his dignity by trailing off in a deep, throaty rumble. But who was he kidding, really? She'd struck, and from their time sparring, he knew he was at her mercy in this position. Telekinesis would hold her feet to the floor, and there would be no throwing her at all. You let your guard down, young one. She'd sked softly, putting her chin on his shoulder, embracing him almost exactly as he'd done with Haley moments ago. None of his brood but her could match his height like that, his beautifully dangerous warrior woman. I guess that means I must trust you. He chuckled, pressing back into her tall, lush figure. Now was no time to be nervous, and moving away would be a mistake. By the way she held her hands carefully but firmly on his tummy, he suspected that her sharp, dark claws were out. That also meant that her fangs were probably poised near his skin, her eyes unnerving pools of darkness. He was definitely dealing with the vampires. Foolish. She chided without sting, pressing herself closer still, smushing sweater-covered breasts against him, warm and resistant. Well, I'm not about to apologize for that, Lillian. Chris turned his head, kissing her chin briefly, trying for nonchalance as he got back to preparing Susan's morning brew. Besides, I have you to be eternally vigilant for me. And seeing as our existence together could be nay eternal, I figure I'll pass off that responsibility early on in the piece, perhaps to someone with more experience. I mean, if I can't relax at home with you, what's the point in any of this? You should be ready to defend yourself at any moment. I'm training your body, but your mindset still holds you back. The vampire paused, thinking over his words. I should not care for such things, but thank you. It is a touching sentiment even if dash, Lillian. He spoke firmly, interrupting her. He turned slowly, forcefully inside her arms. She let him, pulling back only slightly, watching warily until they were nose to nose. Those pitch black eyes stared right back at him, seemingly soulless, though he knew that couldn't be further from the truth. No buts. I love you, crazy vampire baggage and all. I'm glad that you and this dark-eyed ancient parasite of yours are coming to terms, even if you are a homicidal, possessive pain in my ass sometimes. We are going to spend happy centuries together if I get my way. Please don't feel insecure about what happened with Michelle the other night. Chris, I, we are. She faltered, eyes swirling to a mottled brown for a moment before the black closed in again, darker than ever. I, I am possessive, untrusting, a wicked creature. I don't know if that will ever change. And that's okay. He assured, taking one of her hands from his side and gently pulling it to his lips. Carefully, he kissed the backs of each deadly, obsidian talon that had grown from her nail beds. I just want to make sure you're okay. I'll be your rough sex, punching bag, blood box dragon forever and ever if that's what it takes because you're a friend. They were silent for a long, stretching moment filled with questing black eyes. Finally, the beast sighed, relaxing as she laid her head on his shoulder. Can I feel it again? Please? Of course. He smiled softly. Why dragon instinct? Chris reached outward with his power, closing his eyes to visualize the traces of himself, of his magic that swirled nearby. His itch was still lurking in her, diluted into almost every cell, mingling with the parasitic things that animated them like skilled puppet masters. He inhaled slowly, deeply, and as he let the breath go, Chris poured out all the warmth, love, desire, and acceptance he felt for all of his mates. Concentrating, he poured these emotions and more outward to Lillian, to all his growing children and their beautiful mothers, connected by his dragon's magic. Channeling the effect like that was quite draining, but worth it to feel her quiver and relax, to hear the quiet hitch of stalled breath. He managed a good few seconds, but as always, his focus began to degrade by the moment. His hold on it slipped through his loosening mental grasp like an oil deal, single-minded focus replaced ever more rapidly by incongruous fancy, then frustration at his own failure. Chris cut the effect before he passed his weak-willed disappointment down their link. He opened his eyes. I want you. The vampiress husked deep, her accent thick and adorable. Her forehead bumped into his, 
their noses brushing. Now. Lillian. He protested wryly. We can't. You know I dash, I know, I know. She flicked her head tempestuously, filling the air with the warm, honeyed scent of her hair as she reluctantly let him out of their embrace. Go, before I rip these stupid clothes off and gobble you all up. Well, actually I was the one in the kitchen, so, go. She purred dangerously. Her eyes darkened again, and she placed warding hands against his chest that it was time to retreat. Chris hastily filled the coffee pot with water, screwed it together, and put it on the stove at medium heat. The vampirist didn't move, playing out some internal struggle between human and base instinct as he bustled to get out of her way. Logically, Lillian knew that she couldn't have him whenever the desire struck her. They both had busy schedules, vital work to do to keep both this strange, growing family and the magical world outside on track. She needed to share him, not monopolize his time and affection. These notions, however, were foreign to the awakened entity lurking within. Facing a multitude of challenging and human impressions on a daily basis was hard for it. So was trusting, after being wrestled into subservience and magical incarceration for so long. That previously beaten-down creature hadn't had to care for social niceties before, nor decencies and morals. They were both learning, both growing, human and vampire together, and the tiny bundle of precious life deep inside her. Chris. She spoke softly as he turned to leave. Thanks. Anytime, gorgeous. He winked back. It was unfair, she thought, far more knowing than a boy of nineteen had any right to be, with twenty minutes or so until the coffee would be ready, and banned from the near vicinity of Lillian on pain of ravishment, Chris went to pay his dues to Michelle. Only, she was in no mood to be pestered, however lovingly. She was muttering under her breath, shaking her head as she blitzed out a politely scathing email. Apparently, the upcoming UN summit was being stalled again by some faction of the government.so, Claire and Petra lured him back to their sofa, and he was soon happily ensconced between two loving dragonesses, watching a documentary of some sort about Madagascar on TV. Petra was radiating lust, cooing in his ear exactly how it felt when he'd launched his loving feelings out through his itch. Apparently he'd overdone that a little. His mating venom inside the two dragonesses had picked up his signal overflow readily enough. Eventually, the mature dragoness wore away his resistance, and he was pulled down into her embrace. The lemurs and chameleons on screen were a poor distraction as she confidently pulled his hand into her pajama pants, all the while kissing and nibbling at his throat, chin, and ear. They probably would have spilled onto the floor in a sweaty tangle of sex if he hadn't heard the coffee boiling. Lillian was already gone for the day when Chris reluctantly extracted himself to attend to it. Therefore he was free to pour the robust, hot brew into two mugs and doctor it up without fear of vampiric molestation. She had been busy for a week of mornings, away attending strategy and logistics meetings. Word was out, there was a demon on the loose. The rumor seemed to drive the being populous for shelter in a way the threat of the revelation never had. Or perhaps, Chris considered, it was a case of camels and straw. The synod's limp response hadn't helped. The being community was finally awakening to their tremulous situation, contracting, turning inward for support. On every continent save the coldest, where only a lonely vampire ruled, beings flooded back to the safety of their territorial overlords and officials. It was quite the turnaround from the disgruntled and surly complaints about the revelation of weeks before. Coffee in hand, Chris slipped quietly into Susan's dark bedroom. She was asleep but by the dim light seeping around the curtains, it was clear that she'd had a restless night. The bedding was tangled around her legs, a pillow on the floor, and her hair a complete disaster. None of these signs were the most obvious, nor the most ominous. Dark tendrils branched across the sheets around her, twitching as if alert to his intrusion. The things emerged from the sleeves of her flannel nightwear, jutting out at her wrists, throat, and waist. It was an instinctively unsettling sight, those gnarled, twisting roots emerging seamlessly from creamy skin. Chris couldn't help the shudder that rose up in him as something in his magical senses was lightly revolted in its proximity. Looking at the Suthazole was like staring into pieces of yawning darkness to his magic, and more unnerving by the second. They seemed to sink hooks into his eyes, enticing him down toward a bed of soft loam despite his impulse to flee. This was the woman who had loved and cared for him for years, but he couldn't bring himself to see past the thing that now cohabited her body. Dragon instinct wouldn't allow it. In fact, his reaction was very similar to the instinctive unease of watching a spider scurry nearby, only on an intangible magical level. He wasn't alone in that feeling either. Others raised their energistic hackles around her too, Lillian, his dragonesses, even Rayla. 
Imi seemed pretty unfazed, but sprites were old, with racial memories or tales reaching back to times when Suthazil weren't long forgotten oddities. Chris Hart jumped painfully in his chest to see the set of her sleeping lips, the pain frown locked on her brow. It wasn't a peaceful expression at all, she looked scared. Susan. He spoke softly, placing the steaming mugs down on the bedside table. Susan. He stepped closer, careful to avoid one of the tendrils that had spilled onto the carpeted floor during the night. She murmured something inaudible, so he reached for her shoulder. His hand never made it, mere inches before contact. It was intercepted by a coiling, spring-like shoot. The thing wrapped coolly around his wrist in a moment, imparting a sense of delicate, yet somehow undeniable strength. Dragon instinct kicked in. For an adrenaline-infused second, he felt himself drawing breath and magic, preparing to lash out. Susan's eyes flew open as the touch registered. With a gasp, the tendril was suddenly falling away. Chris was left struggling to hold still, ghosting sensations of the cool, alien touch of the Silithozoa replaying up and down his nerves. His hand was clenching slowly open and closed, almost as if recovering from a mild case of pins and needles. I'm sorry I- Oh, Chris! Susan burst into tears as she saw his expression of shocked revulsion, the beginnings of a snarl on his lips. She yanked back all the unintended extensions of herself, feeling them slither quickly across the bedding and back into her, as if they'd never existed. The slow awareness at the back of her mind seemed puzzled by the stab of anger she shot at it. It had only been searching out their surroundings for places to put down roots after all. It had even found a vibrant, living source of energy from which to sup. What was so repulsive about that? It must have been trying to drink from his warmth and magic. Susan could see it written on his face, though he tried to hide it a moment later. She couldn't face him after seeing it. Couldn't face the sympathy, the pity, and sorrow she saw kindling in his eyes. They used to be so wonderfully full of genuine love, even lust. Now this, she rolled away from him, curling into a ball, trying to swallow down wretched sobs that wanted to rip their way up out of her. It was going to be a bad day. Just please, Chris, just leave me be. Everyone looked at her like that now, even old Edder Dot he didn't, of course. Susan found herself both relieved, and a little annoyed as she felt his weight shift the bed behind her. Soon his arm wrapped around her, pulling himself against her. I love you, Susan. Chris breathed against the back of her head. I don't understand why you chose to implant that thing, but I love you. We will be okay. They didn't say anything else, just held each other in tentative closeness as the room filled with the scent of their forgotten coffee. Beyond the bedroom door, the sounds of the household grew louder as Annabelle and Immy said about breakfast. It is regretful, but after this attack, I must take measures to ensure both my sovereignty and my subject's safety. Rayla spoke to the camera rig, projecting her little performance thousands of miles around the world. More than a hundred stared back, leaders all, the most influential of the magical underworld. These were lords and ladies their own territories, clan chiefs, or top representatives of prominent organizations. The preeminent of the magical world were gathered for their monthly congress. Now for a moment, nearing the end of an already lengthy session sharing important interterritorial business, the stage was hers. The dark elf held her lips pursed tight, lest they betray her with a treacherous smirk. Syndicate members burglarize my citizens in broad daylight under the pretense of trade negotiations? My hand is forced, I hereby bar the free export of magical crystal or such ready currency from my territory. All future interdomain trade of this kind will come directly to my desk. Rayla could see the representative of House Lefade agitating in his seat already as she throttled any ambition of trading through their network of intermediaries. The replacement for the disgraced Lord Aramir was a bit of a hothead, a comically unforgivable trait for any leader of their kind. Their former lord was currently imprisoned somewhere deep under the Atlantic. She baited a pause, and to her delighted astonishment the fool actually bit. Speak plainly, by all means, Lady Narlakis. You seek to hoard and tax your newfound wealth of crystal. Riches purchased, I might add, by your willingness to protect an unhinged and dangerous beast. Hidden under her skirts, Rayla frigged herself a little harder, as the fool said almost exactly what she'd known he would. Taut muscles in her thighs and rump balanced on a delicious knife edge of pleasure as she fantasized on the wickedness of having the young dragon in question devour her needy fufu at a time like this. Oh please, tell us again of your noble house's innocence. Rayla spat back, portraying a picture of disdain to the camera. Practice venom dripped off every syllable she spoke. She could still play her part even with the great big, thrumming dragon crystal pressing against her sex. 
My ears have yet to drop off, but not for lack of effort by your questionably qualified tongue. Tell us, would you please? No doubt your predecessor had only the most selfless interests at heart when he tried to have the dragon's pregnant mate murdered under my own roof, correct? He all but destroyed our ancestral keep. The elf hissed back, goaded and unmindful of their digital audience. Thousands of years of heritage gone dash, order. John Guthrie barked from his cozy office, halfway across the globe in Scotland. There is serious business yet to address. Time is precious. I will not allow this meeting to devolve any further toward bickering. House Lefade has already waived their right for synod arbitration on the matter in question, quite wisely I might add, so let us move on. Rayla? Rayla struggled to withhold laughter as the old dragon slowly chewed the Lefade upstart, politically speaking, and spat him back out like a troublesome, grisly morsel. She might be overindulging a little, almost giddy with the thrill of politicking from a newfound position of economic might. What was happening between her thighs was delicious and scandalous, adding to the thrill. Chris Gift felt hot stuffed against her nethers as she slowly rocked her slender hips around and around on top of it. The large, egg-sized diamond was just absurd, formed so impossibly from a fallen conifer. Rayla almost lost her composure as she remembered his huge hand, so passionately gripping her throat. However, the force that had her so intoxicated that she diddled herself in front of her peers, the real exceptional power, was his magic. It did unspeakable things to her and her elfin libido. To feel his basic essence throb close against her sex, pressing, opening her, but never entirely slipping inside. Rayla shuddered visibly, snapping her awareness back to the screens before some of the noises that wanted to escape her bubbled up past her lips. She'd nearly missed Lord Guthrie's cue for her to continue. This was simply wicked. Ahem, yes. I did express my concerns to you all some months ago about the need for this dragon to be left in peace to start a family. The temptation has clearly proven too much for some of you to resist. Almost daily, I receive reports of the attempted coercion of my citizens by foreign parties. In short, if you want any part of what little crystal is available, you'd best come through official channels. My patience for thievery and espionage has officially expired. That is well, Lady Rayla, spoke a powerful leader from the coast of eastern Africa. But I am yet to hear a satisfactory explanation for the purported abilities of this young dragon of yours. Surely you do not begrudge our curiosity? The rumors regarding the young man are, how do I put this, sensational. There are precedents for the management of individuals of such extraordinary power, precedents designed to prevent the establishment of tyrants, warmongers, and dangerous monopolies. Your warning has only served to pique my interest and concern as I'm sure many of our esteemed colleagues will agree. I would respect the young dragon's wishes to be left alone if I were you. The last thing I want on my conscience is a repetition of the events my dear cousin was just sniveling about. Rayla cautioned sweetly. However, her tone and silken smile left ample opportunity for the implicit threat. She couldn't fault the man's logic, he was perilously close to the truth of the matter. Chris was extraordinary, wonderfully so, if the gemstone thrumming against her slippery, midnight dark labia had any say in the matter. His link to the old gods couldn't be uncovered, not before he was firmly and undeniably hers they would undoubtedly try to take him from her then. Disconcerting as that thought was, she smiled. Let them try, she doubted very much the dragon would put up with such political interference in his life ever again. It would be fun to watch him dismantle a few other self-important busybodies. House Lefade had not fared well at all. That was an overindulgent fantasy though, she really was trying to steer them down a more temperate, long-term path after all. Peace, lords and ladies, peace. The old Scot rumbled, getting his say before anyone else decided to add their opinion and things devolved any further. I would point out that enacting such measures has almost always ended poorly for the being in question, and regret amongst the disputing parties. For the sake of my species, I urge us all not to repeat the mistakes of the past, especially in light of the larger challenges we face with the revelation. I agree with Lord Guthrie. Queen Magdalene finally spoke, soft and high-pitched with her saccharine tone. For such a tiny creature, the powerful fairy had inherited the most significant part of Lord Aramir's support block amongst the Synod. She effectively held the reins of this runaway chariot now, though her grip was not nearly as secure as the disgraced elf house had once enjoyed. There will be time to squabble over our prize subjects if we are still around next year. In the meantime, I have no doubt those who support Lady Rayla will be afforded a taste of her newfound prosperity. Yes, of course, Queen Magdalene, thank you. Rayla allowed herself a simpering chuckle at that, 
transmitted to her fellows around the globe. She would have to find an appropriate bribe to send the crafty fairy. Nothing too impressive, though. Excellent, continued the fairy. If that is the end of the territorial business, let us move quickly on to other concerns. The humans are still dithering about proposals regarding our judicial authorities and defensive powers. They're saying it's just a matter of finding an acceptable vocabulary, but it boils down to this. They want us to police ourselves and help them police their own, whilst retaining almost all judicial and executive authority for themselves within the existing institutions of their lands, even expanding their reach into the magical. Let me assure you we will not agree to such terms. This is probably a negotiation tactic designed to, what about the demon? Interrupted a young leader from South America. Will no one else speak? My city is bursting at the seams with being scared in from the wild. More and more come out of the woodwork every day, beings we have never seen before, or thought long dead. They stir trouble and demand action, and I have to say that I agree with their sentiment. What good are we if all we do is sit around and talk? I urge you all to take action. You have told us that this demon is largely responsible for the mess with the humans? I say the memory charm is still on the table. Every one of us, every human that falls prey to, have none of you read the histories? There are billions of them now, all fueled for that twisted sorcery. Magdalene, queen of all fairy kind glared silently, watching their transmitted faces. She ignored the uncomfortable looks, the sideways glances off-screen to peers or underlings. The youngster spoke out of turn, but she waited until he ran out of wind, then a little more for dramatic poise. It is already done. She finally spoke. Do you not see that? Truly it was too late from the beginning for such action. I thought much like you when I first heard of Roddick, that is on record. Now heed this, I was wrong. Whatever the demon does now, the humans must be with us. Without them on our side, we will tear each other apart just as surely. The monster has tied our fates most cunningly. It is more pressing to secure peace first, to gird ourselves for whatever may come. Then we can devote all our resources to dealing with the loathsome creature. A comforting sentiment, when the fiend isn't lurking unchecked in your own backyard. Rayla's thoughts, now occupied rather more entertainingly and keeping expressions of pleasure off her face, were roused to full attention by the reedy, unfamiliar voice. It was the old Peruvian blood mage, lending support to the young dissenter. He rarely spoke at all during such meetings, this was a noteworthy development. Striking hastily will doom us just the same. Magdalene snapped back, her composure fracturing slightly out of frustration. Don't you see that? The synod has voted, must we make more examples? You are all duty-bound, by your oaths, by your lives forfeit. Dissent, among us at a time like this? We do the demon's work for it. We aren't asking you to sit idly. Lord Guthrie came to her aid, ever the soother of such situations. In fact, we encourage you to marshal your forces, prepare defenses for your people and infrastructure. The demon has been amongst us a long while now, with any luck a little longer won't prove our undoing. However, another incident like what happened in Argentina will almost certainly do the trick. I understand your concern, I do. Magdalene took up the baton, her composure restored. She looked directly at the camera, speaking to each one of them, not their faces on her own screen. It eluded Stemari one of our most skilled hunters, if nothing else, proving the severity of the situation. That is why we must make the next strike count, committing every resource and magic we have. It will be impossible to do so with our hands tied, magically speaking, so the revelation must come first. Now let us please move on. Lord Harcott? Yes, your eminence? The vampire lord's smile contained perhaps a little too much honest humor at the entire incident. It earned him a furrow of her tiny, regal brow and an annoyed twitch of a shimmering dragonfly wing. Your report on the situation in Indonesia? Perhaps that will keep the hounds off my heels for a few moments. The youngster looked a bit abashed, but the old blood mage just nodded solemnly. He understood. This was bigger than he or his people. The synod would not jeopardize the safety of beings as a whole for the peace of mind of a few underpopulated territories. Rayla's attention was drifting again. These meetings could get so dreadfully tedious sometimes, and there was plenty else to occupy her thoughts these days. Well, yes, of course. Lord Harcott broke the pause. To get to the thick of the matter, I tasked a few useful chaps, humans mind, to get to the islands and infiltrate at the edges of the magical community. Yesterday, I got a message that at least two of them made it out. They think they know what we're dealing with. My wayward children again? Vlad, asked mockingly, expecting another round of blame and accusation. 
There had been more and more pointed his way as vampire youngsters around the globe continued to cause friction under the new restrictions. Not this time, my good man. It's gargles. Gargles? The ancient vampire started up in his velvet-lined reclining chair. That doesn't make any sense. I thought so too. Harcott nodded. But from what my man managed to tease out of the locals, they just waltzed out the high jungle in their thousands. Also, there's some connection to an ancient cannibalism cult, so that's just peachy. I thought we got rid of that abhorrence. I'm not aware of any gargles amongst us. Queen Magdalene said thoughtfully. They don't tend to seek positions of responsibility after the conflicts. Do any of you have someone we might consult on this development? Rayla let the meeting drone out. The diamond had worked its way perilously, deliciously close to. Ah ha ha. The elf burbled quietly, clawing at the armrests of her ornate throne. It had finally slipped inside, warm and hard and thick. Her vagina tensed, squeezing harshly at the smooth intruder, unsure if it wanted him in or out. Lady Narlakis? Shit. Ah, I will ask one of my subjects, but I am not hopeful. Most unhelpful. Queen Magdalene sounded annoyed at the frivolous interruption, and the elf had been wielding her political rapier so skillfully until now. In. Rayla decided she definitely wanted it inside her. Tingles of lust ran up her back into the tips of her breasts and across her scalp. Little beads of sweat broke out instantly on her upper lip, her neck, even her forehead. His magic was inside, and it felt like she was unraveling at the seams. What a delightfully torturous sensation, she mused, flexing her inner muscles experimentally. The rest of her tedious bureaucratic morning was looking up as the flow of the council meeting moved thankfully on around her blunder. A bitter chill had taken residence in the dark depths of his new house. Chris' breath steamed powerfully in the harsh light of his LED work lamp. His exposed fingertips were just starting to feel puffy, but the cold had never bothered him overmuch. Even back on the alpine flatland Jeffy called home, Chris had always been made of stern stuff. Before him, hovering in perfect array, tiny black ether constructs shed long, neat shadows as he worked. Despite the task, his mind absently pondered the logic of his tolerance to the winter's chill that shouldn't a reptilian, dragon or otherwise, be extra sensitive to the cold? Shouldn't he feel sluggish and want nothing more than curl up in front of a roaring fire to wait out the bitter season? Prideful, the dragon within him reared its indignant head, lecturing Chris even as he ran his magical touch briefly over every hovering sphere. Apparently, dragons had the fire of magic, the very stuff of creation itself burning within them. They were not so limited, so primitive as to require hours of sunbathing merely to move about or digest a meal. Comparison with common lizards was unflattering, Chris should have known. The young man smiled wryly, pointing out to the preening beast that it had been dozing lazily moments ago. His eye for spotting hypocrisy wasn't appreciated, and he was urged, rather sullenly, to get back to work on their mate's nest. The draconic thought pattern slowed again, lulled by thoughts of curling up beside his mates in this very room. It was a tempting notion. For a moment, Chris was drawn into the dragon's contented fugue, imagining Petra's warm scales against his back, hearing soft breath by his ear, the quiet little hitch she sometimes made as her lungs swelled full. He could smell Claire nearby and imagine the flickering light the little firebox would shed through its great. It lasted only a single, sweet moment, before reality exerted itself. He was back fumbling about in the cold and dark, alone. I in its current state. The grotto wasn't nearly the welcoming sight he hoped to present to Claire and Petra in a few days. It should be warm, softly lit with the small fireplace crackling, not cold and by the harsh tones of his portable lamp. Certainly not until he had a nest of jewels and gold fit for his queens. Each of the hovering globes before him was tasked to rectify this oversight. There were exactly a thousand of them now. Little balls of astounding pressure and temperature held stable by his iron grip on the very fabric of that unseen dimension. His power over the ether continued to astonish. Exploring, tinkering, he'd grown ever bolder and more confident since his little extraterrestrial adventure with Haley. More than anything else, the scale of his manipulations had grown by leaps. He was finally putting his gifts to practical use. If that first use was a little dragon-minded or becoming a touch overused, who was he to naysay? Eyes closed, Chris reached out, his awareness brushing against orb after tiny orb. He could sense them all abstractly if he concentrated a neat array of glowing, writhing dots. Sometimes he envisioned them as disruptions, ripple points in an otherwise placid sea of gray immaterial fabric. Daily his skill at sensing out into the ether improved under his practice. In his mind's eye, 
his orbs were as lighthouse beacons compared even to living, breathing things. It was a subtle art, dabbling a toe as Arva liked to put it. Every sphere, every one of his ether manipulations big or small, was connected to him. He felt them all, lurking unobtrusively in the background of his awareness until he paid them direct attention. It was as if he were a fat spider, fingers on every strand of a nascent, interdimensional web. As crazy as that sounded, the network grew every other day as he or Haley thought up an ever-expanding list of potentially useful experiments. His confidence grew too, his manipulation spreading in secluded places around the country and further afield. At his mental imperative, three of the dimensional pockets before him rose above the others, traversing effortlessly through thin air to hover over a chipped mug set on the floor nearby. Then as one, all thousand of them opened momentarily, releasing the one element they were otherwise ordered to imprison in solar heat and crushing pressure. Out of each sphere, a tiny, scalding hot blob of carbon fell into the icy Denver air. They pattered pleasingly, rolling down the growing pile of their siblings that occupied the central depression of the grotto. His dragonesses would soon sleep atop a sea of gold, with diamond sand shores. Or perhaps he could combine the properties of both somehow. Chris tracked one gem as it raced down the twinkling mound, skittering to a smoldering stop on the reddish stone just before the toe of his boot. He squatted down, poking curiously with a fingernail until the nasty scent of burning keratin dissuaded him. This batch was just over three millimeters across, nicely smoothed, and contained perhaps the tiniest hint of a yellow tone dot he would have to wait to confirm that after they cooled. But for now he dialed back the temperature inside his little diamond factories by a small mental increment, and then set them back to work. The three single dot ones flew back to their positions empty. The mug was a quarter full of reject diamond slivers, glass-like and sharp enough to easily cut his smaller scales. Sometimes they just grew like that, he hadn't figured out why, and he might never. It was sort of comforting, little mysteries like that popping up every now and then to confound him. Whatever the reason, those sharp gems wouldn't do at all for the sort of activity he envisioned. For a few more moments he was still, sensing out to the orbs as they set back to work. He received an intimate sense of something trickling in. He knew it was fresh carbon dioxide, but the spheres didn't tell him so in words. That was his own knowledge, instilled by Haley's lessons. Every CO2 molecule that struck the dark, semi-permeable membranes of their curved surfaces sank through and was trapped. Others, nitrogen, oxygen, and a thousand traces or particulates bounced off like water on a wax bumper. There wasn't much going in second by second, but over time he would get another batch. If he waited a while, he might feel the temperature-liberated oxygen start to escape the orbs, but he didn't have the time or patience for that. Content with his creations, Chris sat back on his ever-denim clad behind and began to gather his focus. Mental clarity was vital to his magic, and discipline was key on this scale point one intense moment of visualization, a flash of power, and Chris was gone from the grotto, racing through the ether at the subatomic level. It was time to tend the larger cousins of his little diamond garden dot he hadn't come up with the bed of diamonds on his own. Indeed, the notion was a spin-off of one of Haley's projects. The real project turned out to be one of the easiest and by far the largest, boldest use of his magic that they were getting away with to date. Arctic wind wrapped freezing fingers around him the instant he phased back, tugging at his clothes, putting Denver to shame. Disorientation and fatigue greeted him too, as it tended to on long jumps. Chris squatted, looking heavenward to breathe deeply of the fresh, icy air. The discomfort passed as his sense of awareness and self-realigned. A few moments of incorporeality would do that to you. Actually, it was a small price to pay, considering a fundamental breakdown and reassembly by magic and willpower alone. Overhead, sullen gray skies issued tiny wisps of ice that the wind maliciously flung about to sting his eyes. He took another steadying breath and got cautiously to his feet. Short, robust greenery crunched with soggy snow under his boots. It was just a few cautious steps up to the edge of the majestic bluff, but an extended tumble down to the desolate, rocky shoreline and crashing waves below. He had no intention of ever making the second part of that journey, though once or twice a treacherous dragon thought reveled in soaring the impressive updraft. And one with common sense would swim near that jagged, deadly shore. Dark, pounding surf heaved itself endlessly at the stone. The thick, cold smell of it carried to him up the cliff. Out on the choppy swell of the Labrador Sea, a strong current lurked in an uncomfortably close drop dash off. It was a bleak little tip of land overall, and one of thousands just like it. Jagged coasts stretched beyond the sea spray horizon on either side, umpteen miles of it. All narrow islands or twisting fjord. 
Greenland was a strange, starkly beautiful place. It was the perfect backdrop for a dragon's magical laboratory, and fitting too, at least this particular experiment. What Haley told him about lagging sea level changes scared the shit out of him just thinking about. Behind him on the vast landmass, a frighteningly large ice cube was starting to rapidly adjust to the new atmospheric situation. Arms spread wide, Chris reached out into the ether, caressing the orbs that hovered near invisibly over foaming white caps. This time at his command, tons of beyond scalding diamonds dropped seaward, seemingly out of thin air. Twenty or more, each the size of small cars, curthunked a deep, resounding tone as they hit. White trails of steam sizzled instantly into existence, bursting skyward with fluffy spray. Despite the violence of the performance, it all was over in moments, and the extraordinary disposal went mostly unremarked out a stray seabird riding the brisk updraft off the bluffs ruffled a feather in annoyance, circling closer to the disturbance in faint hopes of discovering an easy morsel, much later, in the pitch black of the seafloor. A pair of squabbling crustaceans were nearly crushed as one of the wonky carbon lumps rumbled to rest on the muddy bottom. Surrounded by titanic pressure and a slowly settling marine snow, it finally lay still, oblivious to its incarceration. Locked away from the bustle of atmospheric dynamics, with any luck it would stay imprisoned for a few thousand years, perhaps much longer. Despite the savage beauty of the scene, Chris didn't intend to linger in elements even fouler than what was on offer back home. This was his fourth visit now, the novelty was wearing off. There was just one last orb to check, and it lurked far offshore in the strongest part of the Atlantic-bound current. This one was a vast sphere, deep underwater and complicated to boot. Chris had to put a lot of thought into how to plan and phrase his conditions. Submarines and their crew aside, there were a host of sea creatures he didn't want to hurt or disrupt in the satisfaction of his lust for gold. But with Haley reminding him, not to mention the effect new treasures had upon his dragonesses, the opportunity proved tempting doubt he'd heard somewhere in the past that the world's oceans contain a vast quantity of dissolved gold. A little research turned up that the figures he'd heard were exaggerated, to say the least. Under normal rules, the trace amounts of gold in seawater were far from economic to extract. In this respect, Chris had some advantages, and so the rulebook was thrown away. Seawater passed through this orb by the hundred thousand gallons, got mugged of every unbound gold ion, and was kicked back into the current all the poorer. As Chris sensed remotely through his connection to the giant ether orb, he thought he could finally feel something there. It was faint, but the contents of his largest ether meddling felt slightly warm to his mental touch, almost comforting in a way that frigid seawater alone most certainly should not. It was working, he built an impossibly huge gold gillnet. Buoyed by the success, Chris was now keen to get back and see what Stephen was up to with the electricity off. The house had been decidedly warmer and lighter when he'd left yesterday. The goblin trio had promised that the bathroom fixtures and carpeting were nearly done, and he wanted to check out how they looked. Moments later, he was back in the grotto, steadying himself against the domed mirror wall with one outstretched hand. Back to back like that, two long jumps really took it out of him for a few hours, magically speaking. Too much of that would give him a cracking headache. Leaning near the door as his senses cleared, Chris marked down the morning's events in the spreadsheet program Haley had shared with his phone. According to his patient, wonderfully endowed instructor though his actions were just a drop in the bucket on a global scale, it was still good scientific form to keep track of such things. And to be clear, Mr. Sybin, the dragon murmured stupidly to himself, smiling as he tapped away at the screen. I was, of course, referring to your daughter's wonderful gift of intelligence. What else? Magical chores ticked off for the morning. Chris collected the lamp and started back through the narrow corridor into his bedroom and busier parts of his new house. He was excited to reveal his work to the brood. Yet, so much expectation had grown around this project now that anxiety swelled in his chest too. He found Stephen, feet poking out from underneath a shelf in the utility room. Near the end of one long hallway, the room was host to much of the house's plumbing and circulation infrastructure, including a series of tanks containing several days' worth of reserve water. This HVAC stuff really isn't my forte. The war bison explained as he emerged, only a little bedraggled, to greet Chris. Yesterday I figured I must have miswired one of the sensors when the damn thing kept turning on and off like that. Couldn't tell which one though, so I'm reconnecting the lot. That's why the power's still out. Better you than me. Chris acknowledged his obliviousness to the intricate worlds of circuitry, thermal comfort, and indoor air quality. He'd never imagined how much air movement was healthy for a building this size, nor did he really care to. He was just trying to control the mounting emotion curling inside him. 
Today might finally be the day, but he still wanted to play it cool in front of Steven. Hey, did you hear anything back about the panels for the new fridge? They're speeding their way here on the back of a truck. As fast as money can buy. Steven grinned at Chris' palpable enthusiasm, his attempts at appearing nonchalant given away as he rocked on the balls of his feet. Clapping a friendly hand on his shoulder, Steven decided to set the poor lad free and force the issue. If they arrive today, it will be late. Damn. So, tomorrow? Not necessarily. Steven added, only a little slyly. It's basically finished, Chris. Apart from the last of the magical systems, and this crazy walk-in fridge, we're done. The goblins are putting the finishing touches on the bolt hole as we speak. You could have sprung your big reveal any day this week as far as I'm concerned. The place isn't furnished, so what does a half-installed fridge room matter? You've met Annabelle, haven't you? Heck, I know she wouldn't care less. Don't put it off for that, do it this evening. If the panels arrive, I'll stay late to work on it. It'll give me an excuse to be here when they all see. Today? Are you sure? Chris frowned, in a way it had been a relief to hear that he could put it off until tomorrow, cowardly as that seemed. I don't know if I'm ready. Stephen smirked at the dragon's change of tune, some of the youngster's nerves coming to the surface. What's the matter? I'll have this cantankerous thing licked by then. He rapped loudly on the ventilation duct that brought a supply of fresh, pre-filtered air down from the surface. If I don't, we've got bigger problems anyway. I think I'm freaking out a little bit. Chris admitted taking a purposeful breath as he marshaled an explanation. I've been looking forward to it for what feels like forever, but if it's done then I have to. What if they don't like it, Stephen? Then you build another one. The war bison laughed, turning Chris and starting to lead him back down the hallway. But look at it all. Think about all the work and time and effort we've put in. All those loads of rock you carted away. Please don't remind me. Chris groaned, sticking his head behind the bookshelf in the diamond-shaped shield room as he was gently strong-armed by. He could hear goblins up there somewhere in the twisting, narrow stairwell they were carving. It was supposed to be a secret escape hatch, but he was going to have to crab-step the whole way up the damn thing if he ever had to get out that way. They walked up the protective dropcloth road, through the expansive living room, straight by the kitchen, headed for the front door. In the entrance room, the burly pair passed the goblins' latest work of exquisite sculpture. Most of the arresting effect was lost because they were headed in the wrong direction, but Chris thought that it might just be his favorite yet. My point is, Stephen continued, there's been a lot of thought, effort, and money put into accomplishing this. It shows, for anyone who cares to think further than the lack of windows, or perhaps a few of the cheaper fittings. This is a wonderful first home for your strange family, Chris, I'm sure they'll all agree. Okay. Chris bobbed his head, still unsure why Stefan was guiding him out. Thanks, I needed that. You're welcome. Now go on, off to your fancy office job and get out of my hair. The war bison laughed. I don't want to see you again before you show up with the ladies. Wah, when? How about seven? I'll pick up some champagne and bring a few glasses from home. You don't mind if my better half tags along? Of course not. Chris was left in a bit of a daze, heart thumping with trepidation and mostly, thankfully, anticipation. Today? Really? Yes. Now go. Have fun, drag my daughter out of a book. Find a snowman someone else made and take credit for it on the internet. Post a hundred pictures of yourself with it, or whatever it is you kids do for fun these days. The bank vault-esque outer door clicked softly locked, and so it was that Chris found himself expelled, temporarily at least, from his own home. He puttered around upstairs in the warehouse for a while, cleaning and tidying. What the heck were they supposed to do with all that unheated space? At the very far corner of his property, the escape hatch exit warranted his final inspection before it was covered over amongst the last mounds of magically carved rock. So disguised, and awaiting magical security mechanisms, it should go unnoticed to all but the most determined invaders. Chris couldn't help looking at the surviving evidence of his toils fondly now. The last few piles of crushed rock created a triangle of neat little mountains in his gravel yard. Without them, who would remember the weeks of backstraining lugging, hours spent damp with sweat and short of breath? Those memories seemed something of the ancient past for him now, other events in his life moving as quickly as they were. Fatherhood especially was never far from his thoughts these days. Susan's dilemma occupied him too, though he distracted himself from confronting it head-on. Claire had dominated his attention recently, perhaps unfairly, but he just couldn't get over the fact of her remarkable pregnancy. 
Scientifically, Chris knew that he had nothing to do with making the twins. It was all down to freak chance, a rare and sometimes disastrous occurrence. But a dragon's ego was not an entirely rational thing, and now the propitiously early sundering of those precious cell clusters was being attributed to his draconic advantages. Regardless, all the time spent with his mate let him know her better, and now Chris wanted her even more because of it. Eventually, after picking a few pieces of windblown trash from his fence, he decided to stop procrastinating around the property and go do something productive. Michelle could be relied on to find something to keep him busy, and if not, there was his stalling rune project to bang his head against. Chris almost went to Susan, but he wanted a bit more time to get his head straight about what happened that morning. It was on his schedule to pick her up from work that evening anyway. Instead, he braved the windy streets and headed for the compound, mindful of icy sidewalks. Phasing would probably have been wise, but the idea of a brisk walk in the elements was now appealing. After two larger jumps like that, it was good to have a bit of a break and some honest physical activity. He made for the cafe with the little garden that Annabelle loved, it had grown on him too now. By the time he arrived, with sodden feet and a reddened nose, he was ready for a warm drink and a snack. Point two waitresses recognized, then fussed to seat him. The proprietor even came out of the kitchen to present the specials, turning the whole situation a bit cringeworthy in Chris' opinion. He chose a creamy pumpkin soup with dipping bread, as well as a rich, real chocolate mocha. The notoriety and special treatment he received was awkward. Glancing around at the other patrons, it was clear he'd been noticed. Eyes lingered in his direction, conversations hushed to whispers as he became the topic of speculation. It seemed everyone in Rayla's territory had seen or at least heard of him by now, the dragon who pooped out magic faster than a unicorn with a bad case of diarrhea. He knew now that responding negatively to such attention would almost always go badly for him. Michelle had been trying to explain the psychology of it to him the other day. Chris just couldn't accept the unnervingly subservient looks in some of their eyes. On the other hand, when he thought too long about it, he tended to come to the conclusion that he sounded like a complete dickhead, whining about a few minor drawbacks to his otherwise blessed existence. Surreptitiously, Chris pulled a tiny, intricately stoppered vial from his pocket, tapped a few drops of concentrated anti-pheromone potion onto the varnished oak table in front of him. He didn't want to encourage anyone. Celebrity already did strange things to people, and that aspect of his physiology could sometimes blow up into more than a minor drawback. It just amazed him how some individuals would come right up and start chatting away as if they were lifetime friends. Others seemed to turn meek in his presence blushing, dithering, or refusing to meet his eyes even during regular interaction, like holding a door or brushing past each other in a shop. It threw him sometimes, and his dragon was no help at all. Having never been particularly outgoing or socially confident, Chris tended to turn inward, attempting to present a calm, rebuffing exterior. The mocha arrived first, complete with fluttered eyelashes from his victorious waitress. As he enjoyed the first creamy, frothy sips, Chris took out his phone to message the brood. Annabelle and Claire had set up a group for them all through Maginet, and he nervously sent out the news that the house would be ready for inspection that very evening. Moments later, his phone began chirping the receipt of excited replies, and he relaxed to see that they were so enthusiastic. His worries were quite silly, but they felt real enough as they were washed away under a downpour of happy emoticons and digital over-exclamations. The girls fired back messages to each other until his soup arrived, by which time it was agreed that everyone's schedules could bend for the occasion and no one would be left out. As he ate, he switched to browsing for news of forest fires. He had something special in mind for Claire. With his abilities maturing and experience stacking up, this plan wasn't out of reach if he could catch wind of the right circumstances. While it might be approaching full winter in Denver, in the southern hemisphere, one of the driest, warmest springs on record was simmering quickly into summer. Something was bound to catch a blaze, probably Australia or Argentina, if historical data was anything to go by. The western states were mostly out of danger for now, but next year, after the revelation, Claire might find her hunger for flame put to the test if California had anything to say about it. For now, though, he just wanted to find her a modest, romantic wildfire getaway. As if on cue that his time was up, Chris' phone chimed the moment he turned his attention toward fitting soup spoon to mouth. The distraction proved disastrous, and it took a while to recover from the embarrassment of dribbling creamy pumpkin down his chin. His cheeks burned as his fellow beings caught every moment of his hasty cleanup. When Chris finally read the message and learned that his latest order from Rayla's new blacksmith was ready, he wolfed down the rest of his food, paid, tipped, 
and beat a hurried retreat. At the back of the cafe, Chris was pleasantly surprised to find the rear garden just as warm and vibrant as it had been that summer. Suddenly he was regretful he hadn't thought to ask about sitting out here. Annabelle would be delighted by this, and he was impressed by the glasshouse roof that had been skillfully installed to cover the walled-in area. A curious inspection told him that there was indeed concealed magic involved, but who would notice, human or otherwise, if they could enjoy their breaks in such a lush, peaceful surrounding? Above, through the heavily slanted planes of glass and subtle spell, he could just glimpse a brightening sky through the windswept snow. The weather was turning in typical Colorado fashion, no doubt the sun would be blindingly bright before long. The concealed entrance to Rayla's subterranean domain was disguised as an equipment shed at the end of the cafe's decorative gravel pathway. To the side of a quietly burbling fountain, Chris brushed past a veil of hanging ivy and slipped behind a false stone wall. The path narrowed, small bushes and wall creepers thick around him now, as well as the tingling sense of magic at work. Chris froze as he pushed aside a low-hanging branch of unseasonably blooming apple that leaned over the concealing fence. There was the dilapidated weatherboard shed and sitting beside it on a wrought iron bench was the young vampiress, Amanda. Neither moved for several heartbeats, the vampiress sitting stock still, not even breathing. The surprise of their meeting was written on her face just as plainly as his own. Chris finally broke the stalemate by relaxing. Memories of their meeting were some of the more haunting from his first days as a dragon, but he was more confident now. A new vampire like her didn't pose a real threat to him anymore, not on her own at least. How he would escape this chance meeting socially intact was another matter entirely. Hun, I guess they've got you security types on all the doors and windows these days. Chris finally commented, trying his best to keep things non-awkward and failing wonderfully. He did manage to stop himself from scratching the back of his neck as he looked at her, but only after his hand twitched halfway to complete the treacherous motion. I guess that makes sense. I enjoy this posting. Amanda took a careful breath to reply, the first maddening tickles of his scent invading her nostrils. She could handle this. The darkness inside her stirred, hungry, an involuntary shudder running over her tongue and down her throat. It lets me get outside in the daytime. Well, mostly. Under the glass is better than nothing. Thick saliva quickened in Amanda's mouth, and a tightness grew in her muscles, all the way down her neck and across her arms. It wasn't so bad, and she was freshly fed on harvested human blood. No invisibility yet? That must be tough. Chris nodded understanding. He was the one building an underground house, but that didn't mean he would ever want to be cut off entirely from the daytime like younger vampires were. Oh well, I guess I'll be getting along. Things to see, and people to do, you know? Shit. I mean things to do and people to. Amanda couldn't help it, she actually chortled, an abortive attempt to swallow her own laughter. It was too much to see the giant of a man, all-powerful dragon of growing legend, reduced to this. He was a daily topic in her security briefings, his movements traced and his home constantly under covert guard. She'd felt the immensity of his magical presence more than once, though it was bottled away tightly at the moment. And yet, in an unguarded moment, he was still barely more than a stumbling teenager. Damn it! Chris sighed in defeat. I'm sorry, that was too funny. Amanda stood but didn't step forward. All she really wanted to do was make sure she hadn't upset him. It would be horrible to make fun of him for the presumably innocent slip-up, but the innuendo couldn't go ignored. Go on in, please, I didn't mean any offense, but that was too much. Yeah, okay, sorry, I guess. Her smile was pretty, eyes crinkled in genuine mirth. It was consoling that someone at least got a little joy from his tongue trip. Don't apologize, Chris. She called out behind him as he squeezed himself through the narrow doorway. And please warn Lillian off, I fear she'd beat me to a bloody pulp if she smelled dragon on me. That gave him pause, what would Lillian do in such a situation? He nodded thoughtfully, not yet trusting his ability with words, and began descending the dimly lit stairwell down into the magical heart of the city. It was funny. Chris was okay with people he knew or had met several times. He was easily intimate with his mates. But in a new or awkward situation, he sometimes just locked up. There were no cues to read, no previous topics to draw on. Sometimes it felt as if he just started spouting nonsense, his tongue on autopilot and barely connected to his brain. Or names slipped by him seconds after introduction. Other times, especially when he was passionate about something, he felt confident, and people usually listened, down echoing stairwells, and along Spartan well-lit corridors, Chris emerged onto the main concourse. 
This sprawling underground burrow was Rayla's true domain, and the market section her lifeblood and coin. It was noisy and vibrant with the sounds and smells of people going about their errands. Something small zipped out from behind a nearby shopper and latched itself to his leg. Chris looked down, amusement mixing with mild alarm, and found a boy looking up at him. Wonder glimmered in those bright, youthful eyes. For a few stunned moments, Chris' thoughts chased themselves in shortening circles. Thomas? Enthusiastic nodding confirmed it. Chris' recognition met with fervent bouncing from the boy with the barely remembered features. You look well better. Not nearly so thin, that's good. Are you howling at the moon these days? Yes, Master Dragon, thank you. The boy spoke, giving Chris a slightly gap-toothed smile. Thank you, thank you, thank Dash. It's all right, Thomas, seriously. Call me Chris, remember? Chris looked around fretfully as shoppers and stall owners alike stopped their commerce to watch. A veritable gaggle was forming, complete with extended necks and bobbing heads. Everyone down here was a being, or at least an initiated familiar. They all knew who and what he was, and were eager to gawk, or it certainly seemed that way. I'm glad I could help so just don't worry about it. You're welcome. I promise I'll repay you one day. The boy continued unfazed, eyes worshipful of his towering hero. I'll help people just like you helped me. People were staring all right, expectant and waiting to see what the dragon would do. The boy's mother hovered nervously just inside the forming ring of onlookers. She looked like she was stuck between the choice of snatching her emboldened child away for discipline, or prostrating herself before the dragon as she'd done when first appealing for his help months ago. Chris prayed she wouldn't do either. Well, Thomas. Chris gently pried the child free of his jeans and slowly squatted so they could talk face to face. I'm happy you feel that way, and I look forward to hearing all about your good deeds eventually. For now, how about looking after your mom, all right? You can practice being a little hero for her before you sink your teeth into the rest of the world. Okay. Thomas glanced back over his shoulder at her, smiling and utterly oblivious of any wrongdoing. That starts with not running away from your mother in a crowd. Mom came forward and placed a calming hand on her child's shoulder. He's a good boy really, just a little excited to see you again, Master Dragon. It's Dragon this and Dragon that all the time at home. Sorry. Yeah. Thomas bounced under her hand. And I can change with the rest of the pack now, it's so cool. You'll have to come with us one time. We'll see. Chris cajoled as he stood back up. The crowd bobbed and twittered, smiling nervously at him. It was like Thomas's worshipful eyes were infectious, and though his dragon seemed unfazed, Chris just wanted to channel his inner cockroach and scurry off into the shadows. I meant to say, I thank you, dragon. Thomas's mother reached out and brushed a finger against the back of his hand. Big, glistening tears were brimming in her eyes. It means so much to have Thomas whole again. Please, it's fine. Chris was more forceful now, he really didn't want a repeat performance from her, with added tears. Look, I've got to get going but I'm really glad Thomas is okay. Let me know if you need help with anything in the future. The words were out of his mouth before he realized what he might be committing himself to do. It was just a reflex, a placation to keep them calm and let him escape. Wasn't it? You mean it? Truly? The woman latched onto his public declaration, awestruck by his casual offer of unspecified future aid. The spectators and shopkeepers murmured to each other in agreement, the young dragon's almost legendary generosity given even more credence in their eyes. Ah, yes. Chris straightened aborting a sigh as he realized there was nothing reasonable to do but push forward with his hasty promise. His gifts were there to be used after all, not squandered. Burning away Thomas's strange curse was nothing to be ashamed of, helping others was a constructive use of his magic. That was the goal he'd set himself. Yes. Now sorry, I really have to go. Oh. I okay, sorry to hold you. Thank you, dragon. Thank you. Thomas belted, waving madly from his mother's side. It's fine, you're welcome. Chris parroted again backing awkwardly away down the underground lane of stalls and colorfully pageant shops. He waved back, he couldn't leave the kid hanging. See you. Chris allowed himself a sigh once his escape was secured. He was deep in magical territory now. Down here, amongst the most blatantly undisguisable, Chris felt like a figurehead on the prow of some great ship. Beings parted before him, but he left a churning wake of whispers and curiosity in the flow of magical folk he passed. These days there seemed to be a surge of new faces and extra bustle every time he walked through the compact mercantile quarter. The outlandish abounded here, for until recently, 
no uninitiated humans who ventured into the compound left with their memories intact. Down here, no one bothered to keep up their disguises unless they felt particularly modest or were just passing through. Whole families of some denizens lived most of their lives in these warm tunnels, rarely venturing out into the human city at all. Turning left down a side branch locally referred to as, no Mali, Chris passed Rayla's exchange and valuation authority. His understanding was that the people working there filled a similar role to port or customs officials. On the right was the establishment that passed for a bank and post office, complete with a pair of board security ogres. Their enormous wooden cudgels and magic nullifying round shields would make any but the most determined thieves think twice. The trade of magical goods was regulated, documented, and of course, taxed. There was a whole tier system involved in classifying magical tidbits for trade or barter. It was designed to help keep track of the most dangerous or human-risky items and regulate just about every other conceivable exchange of goods according to Rayla's policies. Chris hadn't yet had time to delve deeper, his direct access to Rayla circumvented most of her protective bureaucratic padding. That was probably one benefit of this strange, near-feudal society. If you were on good terms with the head honcho, the usual red tape barriers tended to fall away. Chris steamed onward, sliding by goblins, a sleekly furred panther person, and a hovering trio of fairy folk, to list only the most notable. There was even a comically stereotypical orc, leaning arms crossed against the wall with a fearsome scowl on his blunt, underbitten features. Her features? A blacksmith was hard to disguise in any city center these days, let alone a genuine dwarven smith. So was an honest-to-goodness tannery and leatherworks, complete with staggeringly awful smells. But down here, in the heart of the compound, person or profession need not hide. The distinct ping of anvil and hammer could have guided his steps if he didn't already know the way. Chris felt that he might be slightly abusing his status with the newly arrived dwarves. Sure, they'd come all the way there in the hope of obtaining cheap crystals. He didn't think they planned on him pouncing and filling their docket with work the instant they opened shop. That was precisely what he'd done, too. Their skills were just too handy not to monopolize right now. His first attempt at even basic forging of metals had convinced him not to stick his nose into yet another undiscovered world dominated by specialized knowledge, skill, and years or even centuries of experience. Therefore the newly gilded smith bore the brunt of his latest foray into the realm of practical magic. Ever since Rayla had pointed him toward runes, Chris had been searching for ways to compensate for his abysmal grasp of spells requiring concerted concentration. The specific focus of mind, and measured application of magic required for manifesting most spellfields by mental intent still far outstripped his discipline. Even basic shields and magical barriers were mostly beyond him. Though for the few moments he could maintain his concentration to raise one, they were potent. Rayla had hinted it might take millennia to achieve the desired effect with his usual casting method, so he was determined to find another way that he owed it to himself, to Annabelle, Immy, and the rest of the brood to come up with a way to better defend himself. He also felt he owed some security to his colleagues at the fledgling BIA who were already venturing deeper into magically dangerous situations that he'd never forgive himself if little Amy was forced to deal with her mother's loss, even injury, by magic. Not if he hadn't yet tried to help provide some sort of protection. That was his job, after all, to provide magical support and advice. Who would tease him at work if something happened to Cat or Lisa? He owed the attempt to his brood, and to Susan after what she'd been through. Therefore, with the help of his newfound economic might, two highly trained magical metalworkers were conscripted towards solving the first aspect of his runic problem, material. The second aspect, the occult aspect, was unfortunately still pending a success of some sort. As promised, Chris' orders were waiting when he arrived at the smithy. Wrapped plainly but neatly in brown wax paper, most would never suspect the wealth of precious metal within. The blacksmith and his cousin were always very careful to account for every milligram of his gold lost in each reforging process. It wasn't even pure dragon gold, just a blend, but they still professed it a great honor to be entrusted to its work and care. Each time Chris returned with his melted failures, ready to be liquefied and cast again, they brought out a ledger and measuring scales. Meticulous care was taken to weigh every magically slagged scrap of his experiments. Apparently, their two species had some bad blood a while back, and the two dwarves were desperate to prove their trustworthiness. Along with his package of blank, golden, scrabble pieces, he received three tiny spools of dainty jewelry chain, gold, mithril, and copper. Those were the painstaking work of Esma the Busted, who fussed happily over the two freshly juiced-up crystals he exchanged in payment for her meticulous craft. Will you be needing the same again, Master Dragon? 
the journeyman smith, Kyle asked. His singed beard was being pulled absently through a massive, callous fist as he pondered his next words carefully. It's just, well, you've been at it for a while now. Perhaps Runecraft isn't for you, and I feel bad taking your crystal each time. I mean no disrespect, of course. You might be right. Chris admitted, pausing as he collected his weighty little handful and prepared to depart for a brief stint of research in Rayla's library. If I knew why I was failing, it might be easier to give it up and move on. I don't though. I mean, I'm no expert on runes, but I'm playing things mostly by the book. The symbols and the metal seem to channel magic just fine. It's activating a completed phrase that mostly gives me an expensive, hot puddle. Your magic is wild and powerful. The dwarf nodded thoughtfully. Could be fight and to stay free, rather than bound to a rune. Keep your runes simple, and I'll wager you'll find success soon enough. Free? Chris' eyebrow rose. I free. Powerful magics don't always appreciate being locked away in a chunk of gold, dragon, or no dragon. Especially when that dragon doesn't truly know his runes. Huh. But it's my magic. Chris half complained. I'm not doing anything groundbreaking, just complicated. Anyway, thanks for the advice. I'll see you later, Kyle. Well, you know best, I'm sure. I'll be starting on the next batch then. The smith smiled and shook his bushy head almost fondly. He hopped off the wooden crate behind his counter and rounded toward the depths of his hot, noisy workspace. Kyle had always been forward amongst his clan, never hesitating to speak his mind. However, it wouldn't do to go pointing out too bluntly that the young lump was butting his great magical skull against the wall. If the dragon couldn't take a hint and wanted to keep strutting into his shop every other day, let him. It was doing wonders for his fledgling business reputation, not to mention the gemstones. Great forge below, the beautiful, verdant gemstones. Working with such plenty of eager, new magic was a wonder. For the first time in his life, Kyle appreciated the sorrowful tones of the clan's eldest forge masters when they spoke or sang of times long past. When magic abounded, it was nearing midday when Chris eventually popped out into the real world again, leaving Rayla's little subterranean kingdom behind. An exit conveniently close to the BIA headquarters was becoming one of his regular haunts, allowing him to emerge in an old bookstore run by an elderly wizard and witch. He planned to run upstairs to his desk, drop off his paper-wrapped cargo, and see if anyone could be persuaded away for lunch. As it happened, there was no need for any persuasion. By the second-floor stairwell, Chris could hear the team coming down. By the footfalls and rebounding tones of their conversation, it might even be the whole crew. He decided to be a little dorky as he waited, mostly for Michelle's benefit, and struck an exaggerated pose leaning against the wall. Michelle stopped abruptly as she rounded the third-floor landing, catching sight of Chris below, half-splayed against the back wall in a ridiculous photoshoot pose, a stupid grin on his face. She felt the others bump to a halt behind her, already beginning to laugh at the sight of him. You ladies looking for company? Chris tried in his best sleazy smooth guy, flicking his head up ridiculously to stare right at the leader of the little group, his beautiful, cunning, intelligent, sexy Michelle. He saw her nostrils flare just slightly, her eyes widening in what he hoped was a combination of desire and mirth. That was his goal anyway. Lisa couldn't contain her cackle at the sight of him. Beside Michelle, Kat gripped the rail as her shoulders shook. Michelle would have laughed at him too, but his eyes skewered her to the spot. Her heart thumped jauntily and the rest of her body warmed with a flood of endorphins and anticipation. No one was prepared for Amy. The youngster bowled through their legs from the back of the group and literally flew down the stairs. Cryry eyes? The young girl squealed in unrestrained excitement, the sound echoing up and down the entire stairwell as a discordant shriek. Launching herself off the fourth to last stair, Amy went truly airborne as Samantha let out a cry of alarm from above. Chris saw the Amy missile coming and dropped his cargo in time to make the catch. She was so lightweight that it was near effortless, and so he spun her upside down once for good measure. She was a feather compared to Lillian vaulting off the walls at him in training. What are you doing here, Munchkin? Chris asked as her giggles subsided, genuinely confused as to why she was out of school at this particular time, or here at the BIA building. It's Saturday, silly. Amy beamed back, settling herself happily against his hip. We're going out for lunch. Huh, Saturday, really? So it is. Guess I lost track. Chris mused. It's been a hectic week, you know? Amy, don't do that. Samantha scolded her way down the steps, followed more subduedly by the others. Lisa and Kat were still snickering. Pamela and Michelle quietly bringing up the rear. 
It's okay, I don't mind. Chris started, sensing by Sam's deepening frown that it wasn't the right response. I'm worried about her falling down the stairs and breaking her neck, Chris. Amy's mom fussed back, a little more sharply than she'd intended. Sorry, I don't mean to bite off your head, Chris, but... Amy, you scared me when you pulled away like that. You can't go doing that or mom is going to go gray early. But it's Chris. Amy protested as she was gently put down, as if his involvement explained everything away. Must be assault the dragon with Miner's Day, or something. Chris muttered to himself as the others closed in and Amy got a gentle, yet firm talking to. I know you're excited, sweetie, but don't let it get away on you. If you'd done that in the street you might get hit by a car or something, okay? It looked like a little storm cloud formed over the youngster's head, her eyebrows scrunched in an adorable scowl. I know, mom, I'm seven now. Okay? The sheer sass of it stunned everyone. Amy was usually so demure and well-behaved. Preach it, little sister. Kat smirked as Chris began chuckling nervously. Cat enough. Michelle warned softly. We'll talk about this later, young lady. Samantha eyed her daughter warningly for a long moment. Amy still looked peeved but took her mother's offered hand to hold. And what have we got here? Cat moved on, ignoring the awkward parenting episode entirely as she picked up the package lump that had made such a thud when Chris dropped it. It resisted unexpectedly, and she tightened her grip for a second try. Jesus, it's heavy. Don't unwrap. Fine, do whatever, I guess. Chris shook his head as a small flip blade materialized in Cat's fingers. Ignored, its points slid through the layers of paper wrapping with a single rasping flick. More gold? Are you foo? Lisa got to a halt, glancing guiltily at Sam and Amy before continuing. Are you serious, man? Mostly the same gold, actually. Chris watched as Kat passed the neat stack of thin gold tiles over for inspection. Lisa hadn't wrapped her head around the seemingly casual use of precious gemstones and metals in the broader magical community, let alone Chris' own lavish tendencies. At barely more than 15 millimeters across and four thick, his squares weren't too exorbitant on their own. Piled up in a 3x6x6 cubewood stack, they represented a lot of wealth, with a satisfying heft. That valuation didn't factor his unique magic either, blended as the gold was with approximately 1 in 10 parts dragon gold. You just, just walked over here with that, didn't you? Again? Lisa accused with a jabbing finger to his bicep, glancing between him and his magical ingredients, half amazed, half disgusted. You really should have one of us as an escort, there are people out there that wouldn't think twice about stab dash, keep it PG, Lisa. Pamela pointed out at the back of the group, noting that Amy listened, ever intent. Right, I mean, hugging you up, and booking you into a five-star dumpster. You get the point? Yes. It was a bit long-winded, but it sounds as though I'll just have to come to lunch with you, that way you can maintain the appropriate chain of custody for such potent, rare, magical artifacts. Safety first and all that I accept. Chris grinned mischievously at the group, darting his attention to the chastened youngster as she peeked at him from behind Samantha's hip. It was good to see her mood was already recovering. Lisa almost snorted in exasperation at his almost simpering delivery and thrust his blank rune tablets back into his hands. The slitted paper made them unruly to carry now, as well as heavy. We were actually just headed out for a bite. Want to come along? Michelle asked, receiving nods of approval from the rest of her team. Of course you know me. Yay. Amy chirped, emerging from behind her mother, reaching to claim Chris' freed hand. Bottomless barrist. Lisa harumphed, though no one was fooled that she was honestly in a bad mood. I'm sure glad I don't have to feed him. Let's try to keep things at least marginally professional. Samantha sighed as if resigned to the antics of her younger colleagues and her suddenly back-talking daughter. Okay, let's move, people. Michelle agreed, starting their descent again. Michelle knew she wasn't really kidding anyone in this little group. She was getting bone good and regular as Kat might have put it. They all knew it, but anyone in the building could walk in on them here in the stairwell. She was reluctant to provoke fate any further with unrestrained chit-chat. Kat didn't know any better or just couldn't help herself with the teasing. So far, though, she'd been loyally discreet whenever it really counted. Everyone had, and Michelle couldn't ask for more. Behind her, the rest of the team took up positions and resumed their progress down the stairwell. Amy began pleading for a shoulder ride, then squealed as in counteroffer. Chris instead threatened to hold her over the railing. He never made good on that, thank goodness, but apparently his attempts were credible and quite exhilarating. Michelle glanced back to Lisa as they rounded the balcony below, 
noticing her brooding expression. Seriously, Lisa, relax. I've tried that one with him before, and he won't have it. He doesn't want to be herded around when he's off the job. But I think we don't have to worry too much, you've seen him in action. He's progressed a lot, he learns quickly. Yeah, I guess I know what you mean. Lisa admitted, glancing to Pamela to see if she was supported. It's hard to know what to do, how to protect someone who is quite capable on their own, and in ways I don't understand. I just hmm. It's like being told to guard a lion or a tank or something. Cat agreed, piling down the stairs in a hurry to join the conversation as Chris, Sam and Amy brought up the rear in their own bubble. In that vehicle evacuation drill yesterday, he just picked Lisa and me up under each arm and sprinted for the safe zone like a runaway linebacker. It's not really in the spirit of things. That's a good way of thinking about it, actually. Pamela said, looking down to her amazingly healed leg, a constant reminder that she now moved in a crazy world of magic and fae possibility. In the span of a few weeks, she'd experienced firsthand how magic flawlessly mended a life-changing injury. His needs and weaknesses are unique, we have to acknowledge and work with them. Yeah, but I still say he's a prime target for a mugging. Lisa groused as they piled out of the stairs onto the ground floor. One of his weaknesses is that he's such an airhead sometimes. It might be fun to watch someone try mugging him. Grinned Pamela wickedly. Though the expression was somewhat sinister, it still brightened her freckled, sun-touched features immeasurably. He's been steaming for a fight since Susan got robbed. The guys upstairs are dying to see him in action. Cat enthused. Our body cam footage from Brazil was the hottest shit for a while there. Really? Michelle wondered, a little surprised by the sentiment. She caught a dangerous glint in the younger woman's eye and spoke to preemptively snuff out the kindling spark of mischief. And you will in no way, shape, or form orchestrate a fake mugging cat. In case that actually needed to be said. Ha, it was only an idea. The younger woman admitted with a half-shrug of powerfully built shoulders. I bet Carlos would be up for it. He says we're hogging all the fun assignments. Not many others are actually seeing much magic yet, not the big stuff anyway. None of what they do see is on our side either. Lisa added. I'm always getting asked for stories about our dragon. Pamela agreed as they continued downstairs, almost to the lobby now. He's like the office mascot, the other branches are a little jealous. They'll get a chance. With the way things are shaping up, we'll have to loan him out in the future. Admitted Michelle. In an ideal world, she would have more time to familiarize him with the staff and workings of the new government agency. But that's why I hired four full-time dragon sitters, isn't it? To lubricate his integration and deployment. Lisa groaned, remembering her last episode of dragon sitting. Yes. Bring on the midnight extortion and vamp strippers. Cat laughed low, holding her fist high but keeping her voice from reaching the guards on duty at the front desk. It's my turn next, insisted the freckled markswoman, surprising the others with her enthusiasm. What? The last time sounded like a blast, even Lisa had a good time. I did not. On the spacious lobby floor, their joking quieted. Final preparations of coats, hats, glasses, and gloves were mandatory to venture out into the cold, yet suddenly dazzling sunshine. Fresh snow crunched, and the old stuff slushed under their feet. Foot traffic was light, so they had full reign of the sidewalk. An impromptu snow fight almost broke out between Amy, Kat, and Chris, but the wiser of the group reined them in. Chris outdid himself at lunch, eating his way to the bottom of a massive bowl of creamy broccoli soup. The bowl itself was made from a hollowed-out loaf of bread, so that disappeared too. Then he finished a garlic-buttered round ribeye steak, because when the waiter walked by with one for another table, he couldn't resist the smell. My body is a furnace. He protested guiltily under the half-commending, half-jealous glances of Samantha and Lisa. Only later did he partially regret the steak. The garlic came back for a second visit, pungent burps as he sat at his desk in the mostly deserted BIA office that afternoon. Copying precise runic symbols onto his gold tiles with an engraving tool was an exacting process, and being ambushed by garlic burps wasn't ideal. But he judged it was worthwhile, that steak had been done just right. With some big morning meeting out of the way, a lot of the regulars at the BIA had gone home to enjoy their well-deserved time off. That suited Chris, and it meant he could work on his project with less distraction. Kat and Michelle were around somewhere, busy keeping an eye on a developing situation involving a suspected arms deal or some such. Chris etched away tile by tile, his desk protected by a sheet of rough plyboard and illuminated by a construction lamp he'd borrowed from Stephen. 
Two of Rayla's borrowed books sat propped open against his cubicle wall, depicting the exact characters and proportions he was attempting to inscribe to the miniature golden tablets. His tool caught in the soft gold as he tried to complete the curved loop of an elf-derived windrun. A muttered string of garlicky curses followed as he attempted to cover his mistake with extra scratches. Eventually, Chris discarded the tile as a failure and began afresh on a new one. Runes weren't turning out to be the easy solution he'd hoped they might be. They may as well have been a language of their own, complete with semi-pictographic letters, grammar nuances, and experts who loved to put their own slant on everything. The air rune he just botched, for instance, was supposed to be a derivation of the ancient elven symbol for howling wind. However, his two reference books disagreed on how to draw it, what use it should be best put to, and what material and magics it would best work with. All Chris wanted to accomplish today was a magical function that could recognize an approaching force or pressure. For example, the blast force someone might be exposed to in close proximity to an explosion. That shouldn't have been so hard. But back in yonder year when great-granddaddy elf and pappy dwarf were arguing about such things and writing their books, they had only the dimmest understanding of anything resembling modern physics or chemistry. They certainly hadn't had any experience with plastic explosives. They might have known about other such substances Chris assumed, black powder or perhaps nitroglycerin. Magically triggered or powered bombs weren't exactly new on the scene from his research. However, the author's understanding of the forces and physics involved weren't anything close to modern standards. For example, instead of a symbol for blocking kinetic energy, the books contained hundreds of separate runes designed to protect against thrown rocks, arrows, darts, even sword strokes. There were just as many if not more entries documenting how best to launch said missiles at one's enemies, too. Worse, when runes were combined into phrases, every rule seemed to fly out the window as far as Chris could tell. Rune combinations which accomplished mostly the same thing might look nothing alike in different applications. The rune combination on a ring purported to slow incoming arrows looked nothing like the pictographic phrase on a bracelet that let the wearer fall gently from great heights. It was essentially the same thing, the exact same forces involved, and yet the suggested runes were utterly different. Chris couldn't understand WHY.IT was as if Haley's efforts to enlighten him to the world of science were now a barrier to his comprehension of this semi-artistic branch of spellcraft. He couldn't see a system, and so he rebelled against the seeming lack of regularity, the illogic of the magical. Understanding something on a fundamental level fueled his mind to open to new ways of thinking, spawning new ideas and solutions. In this instance, he had plenty of ideas that might eventually bloom into practical spells. However, translating those ideas into workable rune phrases was becoming increasingly frustrating as his efforts were met with failure after failure. Chris had had successes. He'd handled something easy, like stopping bullets, already. But that wasn't all he was trying to protect against point one of his only working creations. The pride of his meager successes was, in fact, a functioning bullet deflector. All it took was three correctly inscribed rune tiles, threaded together by tiny chains. A small gem could be attached to provide magical energy. Enough for a few bullets anyway. He'd already hung the sparkly little device at the back of the firing range and told Cat to do her best. It was impossible to hit. Bullets shied away to either side, literally by magic. It was pretty efficient too because it didn't try to directly slow the projectiles, only nudge them aside. It was cool, but actually quite limited in its usefulness when a Kevlar vest could accomplish a similar end result. It was also potentially very dangerous for anyone to either side of the device. He'd had a few successes with some other basic shielding too. He could make a rune phrase to deflect weak light, absorb heat from the surrounding air, or generate heat in return. That last one amounted to the world's most expensive, arcanely convoluted hand warmer, so Chris was understandably disappointed. Basically, if he kept the intended functions simple, and copied them right out of the book, his attempts would mostly work as expected. Problem was, he didn't want simple, and he didn't want hand warmers. Even vivid illustrations of a souped-up, fireproof, arrow-stopping battle carriage from half a millennia ago were of dubious value. Chris imagined something elegant, sophisticated, and most importantly, practical. Cat or Lisa couldn't carry around huge jangling satchels of bulky rune devices wherever they went into the field. Magical or mundane, danger wouldn't wait patiently for them to sift about and find the right bracelet or ring to mount a defense. He needed to come up with something multifunctional, something that was as close to an all-in-one protection system as he could make. Actually putting any of those ideas into practice was turning out to be far trickier than he'd hoped. Not only was his runic alphabet lacking, but his nomenclature was also probably laughable. 
Every time he activated more than four or so runes at once, his painstaking efforts usually turned to slag and nasty smoke. That was sort of a huge stumbling block in his attempt to make what amounted to a runic logic engine, or circuit board, complete with magical sensory input and pre-programmed responses. Perhaps this is all too ambitious. He mused to no one, putting down the scoring tool to rest his achy fingers. Gold was soft, but it wasn't that soft. Around him, the office area purred away quietly. Dogged even on a Saturday afternoon, Agent Rasima was over at the water cooler, making it glug as he took a break from his screens and satellite imagery. Chris had been in the BIA office long enough now that all its sounds were becoming familiar, fading into the background while he worked. This second attempt at the air rune was much better. His work with the tools was smooth and neat after a few minutes to relax. The magic he imparted to the gold tile now held an imprint, a pattern or idea ready to act when powered. Satisfied with a final look over, Chris began threading it onto the rune phrase he'd been working on for the best part of the last hour. For thread, a fine strand each of gold, mithril, and copper jewelry chain linked the little rune tablets in a magical trifecta. Each metal added its own channel or aspect of connection. And each tile was linked by two of these tri-strands for redundancy. With special holes drilled lengthwise underneath the inscribed face at either side, all he did was shake the little chains down each hole and tie them off. The drilling and chain-making itself was delicate work, worthy of expert dwarven hands. Chris pushed the golden tile along the two mini triple chains until it clacked gently into place against the others. The inscribed magical information on that tile could now, in theory, be read, powered, transferred, then magicked? Acted on, manifested? That's how he pictured it might work anyway. He wasn't all that sure. With six runes in this phrase, hopefully, he had a novel shield function on his hands. According to his research and subsequent planning, this combination might solidify an aligned triangular column of air molecules around the bearer. Such air freezing was a relatively common technique in the magical community, but he hoped to vastly improve upon its efficiency. Outright absorbing the impact of a magical blast or conventional explosion was incredibly costly. Magically or mundanely speaking, there was just a lot of force involved. His idea was based around deflecting much of that energy to either side, just as with the bullets. By presenting a shaped field of magically solidified air toward the source, instead of a flat plane or bubble, less of that force would have to be directly countered. In theory, it should be a far more efficient way to approach the situation. He had absolutely no idea if it would work. Given that the phrase was more than four runes long, his odds weren't good. However, even if he got it right, this was still just a dumb shield sigil. The wearer still had to carry it, recognize the right situation to use it, and most importantly, activate it in a timely manner. For one of his non-magical colleagues, it would be next to useless. Without other complementary charms, and most importantly, some way to magically coordinate, they would have no hope of activating it in time to help. The elevator doors pinged softly, and Chris paused mid-thought. Instinct kicked in, and he rose in his seat as the skin on the back of his neck started to tingle. If he were a dragon, he supposed his crest spines would have been standing on end. His nose told him who had come to visit before he got a chance to look over the cubicles.it wouldn't have done him any good. The honeyed scent of lusty vampire was thick on the proverbial wind. Chris grinned, he felt a lurch downstairs. Apparently, the thrashing he'd received yesterday was forgiven, though he suspected he was just a glutton for that sort of punishment. Lillian's approach was near silent, experienced by Chris more as a familiar tickle against his preternatural senses. Only someone listening very carefully could pinpoint her by the light scuff of her boots on the carpet, or the swish of fabric against swaying hips. They were both still for a long moment when she rounded into his cubicle. Chris' smile broadened as he sat there with his back to the invisible monster, knowing precisely what she desired. It would be fun seeing what angle she took to achieve her carnal goals today. Resistance was ultimately futile, but it might prove fun in the short term. A faint rustle, a few light steps, and then her warm lips were feathering the base of his neck. There was a happy sigh of hot breath against his skin, and sly, invisible hands looped down onto his chest, caressing delicately, scratching. Concurrently, his head was buoyed forward, suddenly afloat in an overflowing bounty of wonderful, naked, invisible, breast flesh. A stiff, pebbly nipple brushed past his ear, whisking across his jaw. Held invisibly in such an unexpected and epic boob block, Chris' breath rushed between his teeth in a low, almost pained groan of arousal. M-H-H-H-H, yes, indeed. Lillian purred in response, resting her chin in his hair. Hard at work, aren't we, my sweet, studly dragon? 
Is that my trouser friend I see down there? Is he ready for playtime? Tits. Chris croaked back, his mouth suddenly salivating as he was pulled deeper into warm voluptuousness on all sides. My only weakness, how did you know? I suppose there have been clues for a while. She teased back, leaning further over him to watch as her hand trailed slowly, torturously down his tummy toward her prize. It must have clicked last night when you tried to bite my poor nipples right off. Well, you did ask for it. Yes, young one, I certainly did. Now, if you could oblige, dispense with the pants and fuck me until I can't see straight? Chris per penis throbbed, weeping silky prefluids to hear such a forthright proposition. To make matters worse, her telekinetic touch settled on the fabric of his bulging pants, dancing upward toward the root of his tumescent shaft. When she got like this, he knew she could happily torture him up and down toward the brink of climax almost indefinitely. I don't know. Chris fought valiantly to resist her allure, to keep some sort of upper hand in this spiraling little mating dance. I'm sort of in the middle of something here. If silly runes are all that's in the way of my ravishment, I suppose I could be persuaded to provide some insight. It felt so good, so warm, he could quite happily jiggle away into the sunset on such a sea of breasts. He could feel Lillian's voice through her chest, ears smothered as they molded to her warm, pale skin. They were in the middle of his bi cubicle for God's sake, but if Lillian could genuinely help with runes, he needed to hear it. Wait, 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 hold on with the tits, Lillian, be serious. What do you know about runes? I thought vampires weren't good with magic? We aren't, generally. The vampires pouted as Chris pulled himself partially out of her unseen grasp. But I don't understand why you're struggling on and on with the basics. There's a perfectly eager little sprite who could be doing the rune work for you. It might free up more of your time for other pursuits. His cock was treated to another poignant magical caress, in case the sledgehammer of her innuendo hadn't already broken through. Chris put aside the shiver of pleasure aroused by her expert touch, momentarily stumped that he never considered recruiting Immy on this project. Hmm, I thought she leaned more toward incantation. Though I suppose she did teach Annabelle and Bartholomew using a few runes. You never thought a fae princess might have received a thorough education in both written and spoken aspects of magical language? No, I guess I didn't. Chris confessed, relaxing back into her arms as his mind teased at the rush of new possibilities blossoming within it. It's not bad etiquette to put a sprite to work or anything, is it? Only unwillingly. Lillian laughed. Besides, that mad she-bat would do just about anything to please you. She's not going to complain about long, sweaty hours together, slowly drawing out your magic again and again. You seem more than proficient at magical transfer. I've got a few hours free right now, we could practice if you like. Oh, really? Chris leaned back against Lillian's naked torso, feeling the power and strength caged within, as well as every inch of soft tit. Call it my fee for a magical consultation. The big vampiress almost purred. Maybe. Chris continued their game just a little longer. With Lillian of all his mates, he tended to exult in the unrestrained once the dam of sexual tension finally burst. They were racing headlong down the familiar path that led right to loud, rampant sex, the moaning and pounding variety. I mean I should probably go find Immy and ask her about all this, shouldn't I? The vampiress hissed dangerously. Young one, I didn't want to pull out the big guns. You're just intractable, aren't you? Lillian sked, ghostly fingers playing teasing shapes on his navel through his shirt. But very well, the real reason I interrupted your vital work this afternoon is that we have a developing security situation on our hands. You see it's quite embarrassing, but a rather large, rather greasy, hunk of silicone seems to have taken up residence in my bottom. I should think a respectable, upstanding dragon might have something to say about that sort of blatant encroachment on his territory. Chris had jostled excitedly between her boobs. He needed to remember to breathe and did so shakily. Her telekinetic finger just eased off on tickling the underside of his rampant cock. He was a glutton all right, and happy with the fact. There was nowhere he'd rather be right now than worshipping Lillian's big, busted body in ways Annabelle's mother would definitely disapprove of. Yes, I see, in that case, it would be my pleasure to evict this scoundrel myself. How on earth did this occur? Lillian's lips nibbled the shell of his ear victoriously. She was just as worked up as he was for the real play that was about to begin. You've got fifteen seconds to get us to my bedroom, then I'll show you. The bleak, snow-blown parking lot in front of Edith's apothecary made Susan shiver just looking at it. It was her turn to man the counter in the last shift before closing today. 
from where she sat behind the glass top display cases, she was in for a freezing, soggy journey home. The winter sun from earlier that afternoon was gone now, taking with it any chance of her mood lightening. As if making the walk didn't hold enough emotional torment on its own, being forced to confront the scene of her humiliation. Life as a Suthozoa host was a daunting prospect, and being stuck inside a gloomy shop surrounded by wind and winter felt like icy, leaf-curling imprisonment. It felt like barely more than a week since she was mugged and made her impulsive pact with that strange seed. Susan and the ancient semi-parasitic jungle creeper were still blundering through introductions, unfamiliar with each other, and their new, shared existence. Never in her wildest dreams could Susan have imagined sunlight, or the lack thereof, suddenly playing such a massive role in her life. Being trapped inside behind the counter while its beautiful rays drizzled down outside was torturous. Like now, when it was gone for the day, she sometimes caught herself falling into the Suthozola's background moping. It had its own sluggish feelings and dislikes, and they bled through into her unless she was consciously mindful. Denver's chilly days recently were hardly fun, but now she abhorred the cold almost as a physical pain. Stranger was her new body, and she was only just scratching the surface there. Digging too far and finding something unpleasant was at the bottom of her list right now. She already found out that she no longer bled, just wept a slightly milky fluid for a few moments until the wound closed over. Combined with creepy vines in the episode where she literally sprouted roots and burst into bloom, it was enough weirdness for the moment without going hunting for more. The wisps of sluggish, alien thought that sometimes brushed the back of her consciousness were the strangest. Her dreams were single-minded, all dank, moldy humus, thick leaf litter, and moist, rich soil. The sun, the swaying trees around her, she dreamed of sucking it all down. Woe to any forest creature who strayed too close under the weeping branches of the host, their corpses would fertilize her roots. Let's swap, Susan. Go on out the back, I'll finish the day out here. Rowan shuffled into the front room with a cup of warm tea cradled between knobby fingers. You were staring off into nowhere again. Go do something that will keep your mind ticking over. How are those two little rascal bulbs anyway? Oh, Rowan, thank you. The Dytrif are doing well, I think. Slow progress is good progress. Susan smiled softly as he shuffled around behind the counter with her. You know it's funny, I was just musing on how this whole mess has changed me, fundamentally I mean. I barely feel like the same me anymore. Absolute hogwash. The old fellow rattled his cup down on the countertop and gave her chair leg a little kick with one of his slippers. Now get out of my nice warm seat unless you want to stay here and listen while I dissect this latest nugget of self-pity in detail. I'll debunk it all over again, you'll see. No, I don't think I'd survive another round of that. Susan considered ruefully as she relinquished the seat. Thank you, Rowan, for everything. He grumbled something gruff and appreciative as she exited, swishing through the bead curtain leading back into the herbarium. If her bargain with the Suthozoa had an upside at all, it was in her green thumbs. Her plants almost sang to her now. Their needs and wants seemed painfully evident with even a glance or touch. Already she'd adjusted unseen nutrient deficiencies, predicted and vanquished an outbreak of thrips, and been forced to rethink her entire approach to humidity regulation. A simple brush of one of her new tendrils and it was as if the inhabitants of her potted garden spilled their whole life stories for her alone to hear. And she now understood too. She'd always had her gift, shared and nourished by her grandmother, but this was a transcendence of her ability, an order of magnitude jump in acumen. Surveying her verdant subjects always calmed her, the swirling stresses and worries of her mind quieting in response. She belonged out under the big lamps, surrounded by moist heat and the fresh, crisp aromatics of sweating leaves. Today more than ever, Susan felt it right down to her chilly toes. A Colorado winter was no place for a suetage-azoa.a and overflowing verbena shrub stood gatekeeper to the main pathway between the rows, squeezed into place at the last minute to share space and lamplight in the increasingly crowded warehouse. Susan was just brushing past, deep in the crisp lemon scent of its scratchy leaves when some tingle of awareness brought her up short, and she halted in her tracks that it was the passenger, Susan realized, though its shared sensations didn't often intrude so forcefully. Whatever feelers the Suthozoa dangled in the swirling, unseen eddies of magic were very sensitive, almost pervasive. Chris's control of his magical aura might be improving admirably, but no magical denizen would get the jump on her these days. Susan turned, and there he was. Chris, leaning across the beaded doorway, just as casually as the hilarity of his size would allow. The goofy smile he gave as she faced him shattered the hardened lump of depression in her chest. 
Suddenly all the bottled angst from their aborted contact that morning seemed to boil up out of the pit of her stomach. She must have looked frightful, because Chris was aghast, opening his arms in invitation. Susan actually ran at him, colliding in a bruising tackle that rocked a backward step out of the worried young dragon. I'm sorry about this morning, it wasn't right. Chris soothed, leaning over so his lips were against her ear as they hugged crushingly. I've been thinking about it all day, well, okay not the last few hours but what I mean is this. Damn, bear with me on this ramble, okay? Nodding, she squeezed her teary eyes shut, arms clinging around his neck. I thought back to that day when Petra and I made it, and my dick got stupid big, you didn't even hesitate to support me and... I... I guess I'm trying my best to be that way for you now. Susan longed for him, her body cried out its need to be held and touched as they used to. Just pressing against him, just feeling the rumble of his voice had her nipples crinkling like mad. Her chlorophyllic passenger was eager to sample him too, that was clear now. It had the taste of him, and it scared her to know how much she wanted to push roots down into him and feed on his rich source. Chris continued, oblivious for the moment to her arousal, though it wouldn't be long until his dragon senses picked up on it. You stood by me, accepted me through all my dragon stuff. Heck, there's all sorts of shit going on with me and these crazy abilities, Susan. But I want to be with you, I miss you. I miss fucking you. I know, honey, I feel the same. Susan looked up, stopping his reply with a gentle kiss. Just take me away somewhere warm. Things might get a bit weird, but I need you. I just need a real manhandling right now, okay? So he did. He held her tightly and began focusing on their destination. They vanished, jaunting for a few seconds through the ether and out onto a brightly moonlit beach almost halfway around the globe. Susan looked around in confusion as the jolted back into existence. Just someplace I've been checking out for Haley. He explained. Surf rolled gently in on one side, whilst towering dunes of desert sand merged seamlessly in from the other, meeting as a featureless beach. It was the starkest environment Susan had ever witnessed. By moonlight, it was simple and eerily beautiful. It made her imagine them on an alien planet, where nothing and no one could interrupt their carnal reunion. A real part of her had been dreading that they wouldn't return to this, Susan realized. It was a huge relief, and her entire body warmed, humming and moistening for him. It's perfect. She leaned up for another kiss, this one full of passionate, gentle tongue-dueling. Warm night breezes gusted in off the eastern Atlantic, full of humidity and salty promise. It kissed the entwined lovers too as they began a time-honored scramble to remove each other's clothes. With only wind, desert, and sea as witness, Chris took them down to the sand, her but perched right in the middle of all their discarded garments. Susan held back the Suthazoa's eager curiosity as Chris kissed his way down her heaving sternum. Her insides shivered in anticipation, engorging and flooding like a springtime river. She was losing focus as every skillful, teasing touch titillated her racing mind to greater heights of lust and affection. Her body was hot and flushed with a physical need to once again feel his lovely cock moving within her. Chris spread her legs firmly, and Susan opened her eyes, gasping in delight. He was so damn strong, and he was taking what he wanted. She had to warn him. Honey, these things are going to come out, I can't. Looking up her body, past heaving breasts and soft, sexy tummy, Chris grinned evilly at the thought of her crying out for him. It's okay. He squeezed the back of her knees. His chin pressed just above her pubic mound, the warm, full forest of her sex tickling him. I trust you. Oh, yes. She shivered despite the warm air as he kissed his way into her bush, past throbbing clitoris, latching his mouth right over the meat of her puffy, needy hole. His devilsome tongue slipped within her, warm and curious. Soon the witch was writhing against his restraining hands, clutching at the cooling sand under her fingers in one hand and bawling her fist in his hair with the other. Her orgasm arrived almost too quickly, a shuddering, toe-curling half-minute of delight when he finally switched focus to her little pink bean, washing it relentlessly with flattened tongue strokes. Around them, dark shapes moved like vipers beneath the sand, emanating outward from beneath the keening witch. Some of the slithering roots bulged up to the surface, dark nodules of new growth exposed to the night air. Neither of them noticed the expanding bed of black tendrils and reaching, feathery fronds they now lay amongst that it wasn't until Chris moved up to mount her that they gave him pause. By way of explanation, Susan shrugged sheepishly beneath him, full breasts jiggling with nipples at firm attention. It was an expression he found irresistibly cute. Slowly, his sandy hand brushed across her ribcage. He reached further, underneath the sides of her boobs to feel what was going on out of sight. 
the things emerged seamlessly up and down her spine and sank into the earth. His fingertips touched the dark, tough plant flesh anchoring her torso to the beach. Their cold, alien texture set his subconscious clamoring to pull his hand away. The tendrils shivered in response, rising up out of the earth to point and sway like an enraptured congregation. His cock throbbed mightily on Susan's stomach as he loomed over her, spitting precum from the massive tip. Dragon and Suthazoa sized each other up and down. The Suthazoa's strange, slow thoughts bubbled to the surface within Susan, aroused to wakefulness by her passion, excitement, and the warm currents of his overflowing potential. It's very curious about you. Susan breathed, watching him tentatively explore as she regained her wind. It was fascinating and all, she hadn't seen this out of the Suthazoa before, but she really needed them back on track. But if we could put that aside for a moment, darling, I goddamn need you and me. That got his attention all right. His beautiful member felt so hard and angry in her fingers, pulsing and ready to buck its way free of her guidance. Susan took him firmly in hand, pushing him all the way back so he nuzzled up against her weeping, red and slit. She carefully rubbed him up and down, teasing her clitoris, getting him all slick and sloppy amidst her flushed-up labia and soft curls. It had been weeks, and his enchantment had been burned away, but she just knew her body was eager to welcome back the thick cock and the man she had fallen in love with. They pressed together as one, sensing the perfect moment as his fat helmet head lodged just right, catching between her inner lips. Her body resisted for a moment, struggling to accommodate his girth before she fully relaxed. Then, with a gentle, measured thrust, he was sinking sinfully into her silken, slippery sanctuary. Dragon and which both sighed in mutual pleasure and warmth. Their eyes met, and relieved grins flashed white in the moonlight. They were reunited delightfully. Susan came again as they worked their bodies together. He was so huge and hard that all her best spots rubbed fiendishly on his spongy ridge. Her clit even touched the glistening length of him as he slowly stroked her with barely more than a few inches. They were both trying to look down between their bodies in the dim light as she shook, a creamy little gurgle of fluid pleasure oozing around their tight, swollen coupling. Their foreheads bumped together as they jostled, and they both ended up laughing at each other, grinning like mad now as they kissed and got their rhythm back on track. God, he had missed this, the silly, passionate moments with her. As their eyes met in the Saharan night, he knew she felt exactly the same. God's. Susan huffed, wiping the first beads of sex sweat off her neck with a shaking, slightly sandy hand. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but honey, I adore your penis. Thanks. Chris grinned, pulling his hands to her soft hips, adjusting her for what came next. Care for some more? Yeah, and don't hold back. She crooned as he pulled her legs up and kissed her taut calves, laying them on his shoulders. That's it, baby, squeeze my hips, I love it. Let go of your magic, I need a big one. Chris sank further into her gooey honeypot with a slick, squelching push, growling all the while in pure male ecstasy. He was only too happy to let go of the concealing hold on his energy, wrap her into a Susan pretzel, and focus entirely on enjoying her lush pussy. He proceeded to do just that, fucking her with long, powerful strokes, slowly inching deeper and deeper. She was just as responsive, just as creamy, and just the perfect mix of tight and easy wrapped around his throbbing cock. In the excitement of their joining, he was never going to last, despite Lillian's best efforts to tire him out that afternoon. Oh fuck, honey, I miss you. Susan wailed when his deepening thrusts eventually touched bottom. Cry yes. Uh huh, aya. He held himself there, massive and twitching, gently rocking back and forth in her silky embrace. Chris took great pawing handfuls of her bum and thighs in his ardor, squeezing, trying desperately not to explode then and there in her tight, molten womanhood. They were both sweating now, genitals all gooey, a glistening, hair-streaked mess as he hunched over her again and again. The Suthazoa reached out, the otherworld sensation of its touch running up his arm, another curling loosely around his ankle. Sorry. Susan tried to bat away the curious appendages to no avail. Don't worry, I fucking love us together like this. Chris withdrew his meaty cock to the tip, admiring her beauty laid out just for him in the nighttime peacefulness. She was the same lovely woman as before, their sex proved it. So he could handle an inquisitive magical creeper or two if that's what it took to be with her. She accepted his wings and scales, and strangely enough, his dragon's distrust for the Suthazoa seemed a lot less pressing with his cock buried almost to the hilt and his trilling mate. Funny that. M-H-H-H, then more, more. Please. She encouraged with wide, lustful eyes and a loving, happy smile. 
That orgasm had been delightful, and she was due at least another before he found a home for one of his massive loads. Spurred by her words and his own excitement, Chris lunged his cock right back into her velvety core, drawing out an adorable yelp of surprise as they began to fuck once more. They soon established their old pace, firm, deep thrusts with both of them rocking together just so. There was a little stirring, hip-twisting he sometimes did at the end of his stroke which never failed to make Susan yell, and yell she did. Around them, more and more dark shapes writhed out of Susan and across the sand. Delicate fern fronds sprouted upward, eagerly sensing the draw of huge tides of magic as the rutting dragon edged closer and closer to release. By the time he finally exploded, grunting and shuddering as huge streamers of thick semen splashed violently in Susan's box, the reunited lovers were entirely surrounded by a cage of twisting, woody growth. Small, dark threads grew silently out from Susan's skin, all along her spread thighs and the inside of her arms. More sprouted anywhere they touched. The witch was barely aware of them reaching, gripping him with feather-light touches. Both of them were too busy trying to kiss and grunt incoherently at each other. When Susan finally realized what the Suthazoa had planned, it was too late. She cried out mid-climax as the thing somehow found its own wellspring of release, plunging headlong into all of that vital, wonderful magic spewing into her. Amid his throbbing, the vine's previously exploratory touches suddenly firmed, tenacious as ivy. At first, Chris didn't care, too focused holding his lover tight as her body danced and writhed to every fantastically pleasurable pulse of seed rising up his cock. But the ancient plant had finally found the tantalizing source of power it had sensed, and it wasn't about to let go until it had its fill. Just hold still, baby. Susan almost panicked, trying to somehow calm him before he had a chance to struggle. Oh shit, I need. I need, ah he. Fuck. Chris shouted as her hips went into overdrive, rolling hard into his still spasming cock. He couldn't move, something was squeezing around his balls, holding his cock firmly in place. The greedy handfuls he'd taken of her plump bottom were stuck there as if by superglue. He even felt something slither around the thick root of his raging hard penis, tightening right where they pressed together. All this in the midst of his orgasmic stupor, when abruptly a different, chilling sensation demanded his full attention. Something moved against the tip of his penis, then suddenly her vagina exploded into a hot, wriggling, alien nest. Chris cried out in wordless alarm. When he tried to wrench away, her ass just came with him, dragging across their clothes pile and into the sand. His shoulders hit the fern-frond bars of their wooden sex prison. Their throbbing loins were just as locked together. Chris gawped up at the strange structure in confused revulsion, sensing his orgasmic overflow of magic ricocheting around inside the barrier of dark, fractal growths and rustling leaves. He was trapped all right. Susan was delirious, her body overloaded with magic, as she and the Suthazoa drank him down by the thick tap root locked so pleasurably deep within her. I don't know. I need this. Just hold still. I'm sorry. Chris groaned his assent. His long orgasm was almost over, and he felt tenderized and helpless in her squeezing coils. This wasn't so bad, he thought. Weird for sure, but he loved being with Susan again, and if she needed this, he would just lean back and enjoy himself. All his movements stopped with a disbelieving grunt as the slithering sensation within her found his piss slit, and somehow corkscrewed its way back up his cum-filled shaft. Gaha! He looked right into her eyes as it happened. Chris torso heaved, thrusting involuntarily as his climax redoubled. Something detonated inside him, a tidal wave of uncontrolled energy rushing out in every direction to slam against the Suthazoa's widespread leaves. A solid river of cum gushed out of him, the thing somehow unleashing the floodgates from within him. It was so good that it hurt. His cock throbbed so hard he could have sworn it was about to pop he definitely hadn't signed up for this. But Chris suddenly felt woozy, dreadfully tired even as he hunched out weakening, automatic thrust against her upturned bottom. So good, honey. You're so damn good for me. Susan breathed in his sweaty, manly scent, holding him close in every way. He was still groaning and trying to hump her into the sand, even as he was tapped for every last drop of precious seed he contained. Her body was absolutely stuffed with energy, the hungry Suthazoa satisfied now beyond any previous measure or memory. She received a strangely fearful sense from it, as if its leaves were being wilted by a sun too hot. The vines and tendrils began slowly retreating back across the sand and beneath her skin, quiescent and satisfied. Entirely spent, Chris collapsed into Susan's arms and the embrace of her numerous new limbs. By some male instinct honed over millennia, he turned his face into her rosy breast and promptly fell asleep. 
They were left sweaty, sandy, and naked at the edge of the great desert, Chris already snoring gently against her tit. Susan lapsed into a perfect state of dreamy sex lethargy, the rolling sea breeze slowly drying them with warm gusts. She could probably go for a couple of years after a dose of power like that, but she wouldn't have to. His cock was still mostly inside, right where it belonged, his excess seed made the beach stick tenaciously to her but He was back in her arms, and Susan wasn't going to let anything get between them ever again. I love you, my sweet, sweet man. The jubilant mood in the apartment was only momentarily dampened when Susan and Chris stumbled out of the ether. Claire and Annabelle fussed over his sandy, exhausted, almost drunken state before bustling him off to be made presentable. Susan had messaged ahead, explaining why they would be arriving late, and now Lillian arched a teasing eyebrow in her direction as Chris was led away. What? Susan asked, feeling almost self-conscious as Petra and the vampires closed in. Michelle and Haley were watching from the sidelines in modest amusement, their conversation interrupted by the dramatic entrance. I didn't mess up someone's turn with him or anything, did I? My dear, no. Not at all. Lillian's famous lips arched, then she burst into a huge grin. I just wanted to say congratulations, and welcome back to the club. Oh, I, thank you, Lillian. Susan bobbed her head, embarrassed but feeling warm fuzzies all the same. It does terrible things to my ego to ask, but what did you do to him? Lillian glanced into the open doorway of the bedroom where Chris could be heard putting up grouchy resistance to various wardrobe selections. I thought what I did to him this afternoon would be hard to upstage, but you've blown me out of the water. Well, we, um, you know. Susan trailed off and began scowling at the vampire. Damn it, Lillian. He does look a bit like a wrung-out washcloth. Petra giggled. Go grab a shower, Susan. You can tell us all about it later. The girls are a little hyper to see the house, and I'll admit I am too. You'd better be quick. With a start, Susan realized that the rest of the brood was smartly dressed and made up for the occasion. Meanwhile, she was a sandy sex mess and their brief dip in the ocean before their return hadn't done much about it. It felt wonderful, and a back-straightening shiver ran up her spine just thinking about it. The van ride from the hotel came courtesy of Rayla's security team, and Lillian promised that they wouldn't mind at all. Chris was in no state to be teleporting around with large groups, and he recognized that. In fact, the drive over was surprisingly nice. Just relaxing in the back between Petra and Lillian, listening to the excited babble of speculation and anticipation, it was perfect. When they turned off onto the gravel track leading around the back of their lot, Annabelle and Claire led a rowdy cheer from the front of the vehicle. Petra joined in beside him, which startled Chris. Then Lillian gave his arm a squeeze and added her huskier voice to the tumult. Tired though he was, a huge smile lit his face. There was no choice but to be infected by their cheer, not after all the time and effort, and not with the swelling sense of accomplishment he felt in his chest. Stevens' pickup was parked beside a messy stack of half-broken timber and packing wrap when they all piled out of their ride. Chris understood immediately that it meant, but chuckled to hear Annabelle speculate rather inexpertly to Immy about what it might have once contained. He gave a guilty glance around at the uninspiring, gravel-strewn yard and mostly empty warehouse floor. There was still room for improvement, and a lot of beautification. At least the light bursting up out of the open stairwell did look rather dramatic as it spewed across the old, cobweb beams above. As the bemused werewolf who'd driven them over received thanks and pulled away, Chris realized that everyone was staring at him expectantly. What? He goofed. Well, aren't you going to say anything? Annabelle squealed, almost jumping up and down on the cold, crunchy footing. He was suddenly at a loss for words, overwhelmed by the moment, by so much expectation and enthusiasm. The property in the house had become commonplace to him long ago. It was all completely new for most of the brood, though he had suspicions that a couple of information leaks had spread in secret amongst his ladies. Okay, let me think. Hmm, how about this? I built us a house. It's cold, so let's go inside? He tried, gesturing over his shoulder at the beckoning light. His response seemed to exacerbate the excitable members of his brood, whilst amusing the more sedate and level-headed. In short order, he was being lovingly frog-marched forward by Claire and Annabelle, Haley and Immy acting as lieutenants at their sides. Oh, to be that young again. Petra remarked fondly as she, Lillian, Susan, and Michelle formed a rear guard and followed along. It is quite exciting. Susan admitted as Chris warned about the lack of handrails right at the start of the stairs. Apparently that was a job for after the furniture arrived. I feel like I probably know the least about what to expect. 
Amy paused just before her first downward step, scanning a final critical eye over what she'd seen so far and pronouncing her judgment to everyone. It'd better be good down there. Petra chortled. Oh, I know I'm terrible. The dragoness admitted to the others. It's just, I was thinking the same thing a moment ago. A dirty old warehouse doesn't exactly make a stunning impression, even if you know it's not the main attraction. A champagne cork came flying up at them with a loud plunk when they finally got to the bottom landing. A great big bellow of warbison laughter followed, and Janet Sybin was scolding her husband before the cork had even come to rest. Stephen had to fend off his daughter, too, as the groups merged into a bustle of greetings and smiles. Janet had a tray of glass flutes from her own home standing ready as the libations were poured. Very thoughtfully, she also had a non-alcoholic bubbly option available for those who were reproductively indisposed. As the drinks passed around, Chris realized he wasn't going to get out of saying at least something to mark the occasion. He cleared his voice, and was gratified as the boxy little room at the bottom of the stairs quieted. Here's to friends' home and family. Chris started somberly. Whatever train of exhausted inspiration he seemed to be riding must be working, so he rolled with it. He raised his glass, meeting all the eyes that glanced back and forth as they drank to the toast. Then he looked right at Stephen, who had made all of this possible, and nearly choked up on a manly surge of emotion. And here's to friends who help you build homes and become family. I'll drink to that. Haley sequeeled, right before downing her entire glass like a seasoned socialite, shocking everyone into a murmur of laughter and twitters. Cheers. Stephen joined in and conversation sparked up again as he was suddenly bombarded with hugs, thanks, and eager questions. Michelle slipped her arm through Chris as Petra moved off to join in the growing spectacle surrounding the vault-style door and Stephen's proud recitation of its heft and sturdiness. That was nice. Michelle looked up at him with the sincerest dark eyes as she spoke. Good work. Chris was about to defer that Stephen and the goblins did just about everything when Annabelle and Claire began hollering for everyone to come look. The eager girls had snuck ahead of the main party, of course, and were now confronted with three patiently waiting goblins and their latest masterpiece. Thanks, Michelle. He squeezed her close against his side, sharing a moment of heartfelt affection. Lillian's warmth pressed in from his right, causing his self-protective instincts to fire as he realized he might be in for trouble. Glancing first at the sly quirk at the corner of Michelle's lips, then to Lillian's best Cheshire, he realized it might not be the sort of trouble he anticipated, but it was definitely trouble. Oh. More of the brood began streaming down the length of the airlock-like corridor leading further underground to the house proper. We made up. Lillian said, casually brushing aside the last three days of bad blood as if they were of no consequence at all. She took his hand and laced their fingers. We formed an alliance. More of a political block, really. Michelle corrected on his left. Clever. Lillian chuckled. I like that. Give me strength. Chris glanced atrically to the rock over their heads. In his bone-weary state, he was only half-joking. Come on everyone, you don't want to miss this. Stephen's deep voice interrupted any more chances for Michelle and Lillian to further their cause. He beckoned to the stragglers from the chunky, multi-deadbolt doorway. Chris knew exactly what the commotion was all about up ahead and it was true he didn't want to miss his brood's reaction. Whatever no-doubt frisky scheme the two had come up with would have to wait. With an exasperated, oversexed growl, the dragon's strong hands trailed downward along their sides to possessively stroke two very different, but equally meritorious, cloth-covered rumps. You heard the man. He squeezed very firmly, the sort of hold he planned on using to ravish the sexy troublemakers at his earliest rested convenience. He couldn't believe he'd been walking on eggshells around them for days, and now this? Michelle jumped a little, gasping sexily at his roughness. The voluptuous vampirus merely batted sultry, tempting eyelashes his way. Sexy retribution would really have to wait. Whatever Susan and that crazy plan had done to him, there was precious little left in the tanks, magically or otherwise. His entire groin still throbbed. Ghosts of every strange sensation she made him feel seemed to jangle up and down his nerves every few minutes. Chris released their cute butts with a sharp little push toward the door. He brought up the rear of the party as Michelle and Lillian scampered out of range, expecting swats to follow. They were snickering triumphantly as they brushed by Stapen, clinking flutes. How do you do it? Stephen asked the young dragon almost piteously, he caught most of the interaction. You know, I think I'd go crazy. I might yet, Stephen, I might yet. The room at the end of the security corridor had always been a bit nebulous in Chris' visions for the house. 
It was the first real room they'd cut out of the Denver subsoil, and Chris had sort of imagined it as someplace to store thick coats and dirty shoes, a mudroom. However, given the room's relative unimportance in the overall project, not to mention its heavy traffic flow, work on finishing the simple cube-cut rectangle was one of the last things they got around to, uninspired by plans for yet another boring human room, yurt, belthilas, and Gruff had taken it upon themselves to make a reception hall worthy of a dragon's lair. They delivered yet again, once more astounding Chris with the quality of their craftsmanship. Down the long corridor, over the heads of his astounded brood, Chris caught a peek at the spectacular artistic combination of lighting and sculpture that would greet anyone entering their home. The goblins chose to leave the stone walls bare, gouging huge chunks out of the far wall and all along the left side to create their main piece. They just started cutting away at the walls and ceiling one evening when Chris was headed home. The next day, the room seemed twice as large, and was dominated by an almost life-size version of himself as Dragon. The sculpture was frozen in a dramatic pose, twisting around to roar open mod right at the portal where you walked in. It looked badass, a Bond villain would have been jealous. Though the stone dragon was slightly blocky, even cartoonish, the lighting just brought it to life. The room was incredibly dark overall, full of deep shadows and unexpected shapes. It created a striking contrast after the tunnel's harsh LEDs. Most of the light came flickering in red and orange tones from a tiny magical campfire at the far end of the room. The dragon's body trailed in and out through dancing, firelight shadows along the left wall, fading a little dark, then darker back toward the entrance. It gave the impression that you just startled the beast deep in his cave, and were about to be incinerated over its shoulder. The dragon's head and part of its sinuous neck actually reared back out of the far wall, a separate bust that hung menacingly overhead. This extra dimension tricked the mind for another look, just to make sure the thing wasn't real. Stuttering flame light on rough-hewn brown scales complemented this realistic outcome perfectly. The goblins even chipped away at every smooth surface other than the floor, completing the cave-like atmosphere with a few fake stalactites for good measure. Janet almost peed herself when I brought her down. Stephen nudged Chris as they stood at the back, watching the goblins proudly lead the procession up toward the dragon's head. Oh, I did not, Stephen. Janet swiped playfully at her husband's forearm in retribution and took a sip of champagne. I just got a bit of a surprise is all. It's striking? Chris hoped. Belfila's was explaining that the dragon's spines along its back and tail could be used to hang coats. There was a dimmer switch for the tiny, glowworm imitating lights up in the ceiling, and shoes went up against the dragon's huge, bulging, gut dot Chris' eyes narrowed and he scowled suspiciously at the terrible trio. They were playing it breezy, but he would have sworn his tummy was never like that when he posed for them as a dragon. The sculpture's rear haunches looked suspiciously ample, too. Annabelle was already patting the great big tummy and laughing with Immy and Claire as the sprite petted the redhead's little pregnancy bulge in return. They hadn't, had they? It was definitely his dragon form though, not either of his mates. I'd go with intimidating. Haley's mom considered, taking her husband's hand. She could tell he was happy as a hog right now, he secretly loved to bask in praise for his work, though the silly man would never admit to such a thing. Gruff was impressing Michelle and Lillian with his explanation of the two ambushed positions hidden in the dark recesses behind the stone dragon. I like it. Stephen added his support for the goblin's work. Leaves no doubt who you're dealing with when you come inside. Belthila snapped his fingers theatrically and a little gouts of flame shot out of the sculpture's two nostrils. They petered out harmlessly after about a foot, but the sudden flash was enough to get Haley and Annabelle squealing. I think those little shits might have gender-bended me. Chris realized, walking around to get a better look at the discrepancy he noticed in the bright flash. Yep, look at the corner of the eyes. Those are girl dragon eyes. Yurt. God damn it, man, is this your doing? Stephen cocked his head, reassessing his outlook on the rock dragon. Huh, I guess the front legs do look a little, dainty? I never noticed before. Dainty? Chris guffawed, pointing toward the rear of the sculpture. Look at my big, sexy dragon ass. Yurt. Leave the poor goblin alone. Petra cackled over her shoulder as she straightened from whispering with the diminutive culprit. I think you make a pretty girl dragon. That got a laugh from just about everyone, and Chris eventually bowed and joined in as the goblin brothers began pulling taunting faces at him amidst the safety of his adoring brood. It seemed like the girls were in on the joke. Immy grabbed Yurt around the waist and began leading the surprised goblin in an impromptu waltz around the room, an absurd level of showboating. Chris shook his head in defeat, too tired and now too amused for more than passing irritation, 
His dragon grumbled something petty about changing his stance on goblin snacks, but he would always remember the little punks fondly when their ways parted. This last singer would be a permanent reminder of their days spent together in sweaty camaraderie and playful antagonism. He didn't begrudge them that. Anticipation grew when everyone slowly gathered by the sculpture's head, waiting for Chris to pull aside the big sliding door. Staircases and imposing entranceways were all well and good, but this was obviously the big reveal and the brood knew it. Immy was pouting at his side, tipsy and resentful that Annabelle had confiscated the mostly untouched glass of bubbles she had so thoughtfully liberated from Haley. The two extras she'd successfully swiped from the tray of poured drinks had been deliciously tingly on the way down. Okay, here we go. Chris breathed, as he reached for the handle on the hanging slab of oak and tugged. For a moment, all his crazy worries and doubts from earlier that day came rushing back. Then the wholesome enchantment he read on their faces incinerated his fears as they got their first glimpses of their new home. The cunningly designed space of the main living area lay revealed. The large room seemed cavernous devoid of decoration, bare floorboards stretching off down the house, unbroken by rug or furniture. Annabelle was first through, starting forward confidently at the head of the jostling pack. She trailed to a halt as she caught sight of the kitchen to her right. She barely got out two more words before her throat got all clogged up with emotion. Oh, wow. Chris was ready, wrapping his arms around her as the others streamed around them. Petra brushed by with light reaffirming touches for her mate, and his first as they embraced. Why, you got me my dream estio. Annabelle hiccuped, brushing silly, happy tears from the corner of her eyes. She couldn't believe he'd remembered that ancient conversation. Sorry, it's the craziest thing to start bawling about. You got my dream stovetop? Of course, D. They hugged, twisting slowly side to side as everyone spread out and began poking around the kitchen and laundry. Haley made a beeline to check the progress of the study, the only room so far planned for the left side of the huge central room. It's just, just... Annabelle was struggling to relay her tumultuous thoughts. Everywhere she looked her eyes snagged on fresh detail. She loved the lightness of freshly painted plaster, contrasting tastefully with strategic use of bare stone and wooden accents. It seemed strange that there were no windows or curtains, but the more she looked, the more she realized that great lengths had been taken to limit any sensations of claustrophobia. Oh my god, this is a porno bathroom! Michelle's voice rang out into the living room, followed by a peal of Susan's laughter as the witch caught sight of gold-gilded tiles and a line of dragon-headed shower nozzles. Annabelle looked up at him questioningly, a cheeky smile forming on her lips. It sort of is. Chris shrugged, slightly embarrassed that he hadn't constrained the goblins on that one. Go on, go and enjoy it with them. Hello? We're living one big porno? Annabelle shouted back defiantly detaching herself from him with a cultish, excited hop. She regained a more dignified candor a step or two later, piercing his heart with a giddy glance back over her shoulder. After a good five minutes of experimental tap-turning and jaunty speculation about the possibility of such a huge tub, Stephen took over and guided Annabelle into a grand tour of her new kingdom.no feature or design decision was left unexplained. Chris watched fondly as Annabelle swamped Stephen in praise and expressions of delight at each attraction. In the end, the big war bison earned himself a heartfelt hug and a lingering kiss on his cheek. He was positively beaming. As predicted, she wholeheartedly agreed with his last-minute decision to put in a more industrial refrigerated room. Michelle, Petra, and Claire were flicking eagerly through some interior design catalogs that Stephen had thoughtfully left out on the kitchen bar. Lillian saw this and dropped a huge bombshell on them all when she announced that the Vampire Council had just yesterday finalized the 28% tithe on the vampirous Lakshmi's assets for her role in the debacle involving House Lefade. Most of that considerable sum was to be rewarded to Lillian, launching her firmly into whatever lofty stratum lay above that of filthy rich. In celebration, the girls could pick whatever furnishings they wanted for the house and their own rooms, she would be picking up the bill. The idea that Lillian was so wealthy somehow bothered Chris. It was weird because he wasn't sure if he'd ever seen her buy something. The vampire certainly never flaunted it. She treated the whole event with such nonchalance that he had to wonder how far out of touch she was with the rest of society, human society that is. He couldn't help wondering if he would fall into the same trap. Five hundred years was a long time to be alive. Chris was almost dead on his feet by that point, and what he really needed was a good ethernap to recharge his batteries. Most of the brood had piled in to check out the harem spa, or were venturing further afield to claim bedrooms. Left to his own devices, Chris tottered over to the corner of the dining room. 
By the entrance to the recently added study was a big pile of all the dropcloth and old sheets the goblins had folded away for the showing. He collapsed on them, his entire body sighing sweet relief. He just lay there listening to all the happy bustle, a goofy contented smile plastered on his lips. Susan snuggled up with him a few minutes later, quietly whispering all sorts of loving devotion, none of which he was up for right now. There's nothing left of me, devil woman. Chris yawned as she nuzzled close. What happened back there anyway? I'm sorry, sugar. I think you really rocked the Suthazoa's world. You certainly got mine shaking, though it did get a little strange at the end there. A little? Chris summoned the effort to raise his head off their impromptu bedding for a moment, eyebrows cocked at her in disbelief. You trussed me up like a rose hog, put a thing up my tingling, and just about sucked down every last ounce of magic I had. That was freaky as shit. Susan stroked her hand across the fabric of his black dress shirt, considering her answer. I'm not entirely sure, honey. I sort of stopped holding back during that one orgasm, and then all that stuff happened. I was so happy to be with you, it all felt so good and I just, let go. Everything got carried away after that, and damned if I didn't come my little heart out. Yes you fucking did. He growled, rolling onto his side so his hand could patrol her curving rear possessively. So, we'll do it again? She asked, feeling tremulous, yet elated inside. She suspected she knew the answer, and her heart told her that she did, but hearing the words from his own lips would do her wonders. Haven't killed me yet. He grinned back. Though I might have to beg for a few days' respite. Susan leaned up and kissed him tenderly. This house is so amazing, Chris. Thank you? I don't know what I was imagining when you talked to me about it, but this is much better. The bedrooms are huge, Annabelle is in love with the kitchen, and that bathroom is just ridiculous. Good ridiculous? He squeezed her hips against his own. We'll see. They stilled as footsteps approached, heels tapping elegantly across the wooden floor. Haley and her mom were in a bit of an emotional powwow over at the kitchen, coming to terms with the fact that Haley really was about to leave the nest. What are you two lovebirds up to? Petra smiled down at Chris and Susan fondly. Just stealing a few cuddles. Susan said, feeling more like her old, carefree self with every affirmation of his affection. Well, I'm pleased to see you're back in the saddle. Sorry to interrupt, but a little goblin told me that there's a special dragon's only gift awaiting my pleasure if I can find someone called that ruddy big wingnut. Who do you think that might be? That's me. Chris rumbled. And it's for you and Claire, though not strictly dragons only. Well, come on. Petra hauled him to his feet, unable to bear the anticipation. Her young mate had surpassed all expectations again with this home. Her dragon felt instinctively comforted in such a lavish burrow, traces of her mate's spicy scent already lingering in every room. If she wasn't so excited to find out about this mysterious gift, she would probably be trying to jump his worn-out bones right there in the paint-speckled rags. I can't wait another moment. Sorry, Susan. The witch climbed to her feet and followed the dragons toward the strange room with the buried geode. Now there was something truly impressive. The magical storage device had caught the slow attention of her chlorophyllic companion too. The door to the master bedroom had naturally attracted scrutiny from the ladies during their familiarization. It was the only handle that wouldn't open, so when Petra dragged Chris before the three waiting goblins to unlock the door, everyone crowded around curiously. Belthelas started with a little formal expression of his queen's admiration, and gave a little bow before taking each dragoness by the hand to lead them into the bedroom. Chris held the door as Yurt and Gruff followed behind, but signaled a restraining gesture to the rest of his brood. Just give us a few minutes. Chris smiled tiredly at Annabelle's mild affront to being barred from her own room. Sorry, things are a bit cramped and I think there's an enchantment you all need to be introduced to for safety's sake. There will be lots of chances to see it afterward. His explanation only served to stoke their curiosity, but he slipped inside and shut the door behind himself. As he came inside, Petra tentatively held a hand toward the silvery mithril curtain, shying away as it reached out to her in turn. Chris got to watch Belthila's transfer magical ownership of the complicated enchantment. The goblin stroke loose a fistful of slippery metallic strands away from the main body, drawing Petra's hand into the mix so they both touched it skin to skin. Next thing, all three of the trio whipped out their stubby wands and began madly tapping away on the entwined dragons carved into the stone of the narrow, ornate partal. For a heartbeat, Chris dreaded that this was supposed to be some sort of drumbeat, and they were about to break into a rendition of their favorite gory songs. Thankfully his nightmare wasn't brought to fruition, he didn't know if he could have handled that. 
Claire was bouncing up on the balls of her feet beside her mom when he moved closer and put his hands on her shoulders. This is so neat. Yeah, this stuff has given me a few cool ideas to think about. Chris murmured back as the goblins drew their seemingly random stick rattling to a close with a solemn little chant. Now the metal spirit will obey only you and yours, Lady Dragon. Belthila spoke formally as the archway of tiny chains parted before her to reveal the stooped passage leading deeper. Please proceed, your grotto awaits. There wasn't a single curse word in two whole goblin sentences, a remarkable achievement on its own. My grotto? Petra blinked in confusion. Your ness. Chris gestured expansively for Petra and Claire to go ahead down the short tunnel. Apparently it was a dragon thing way back in the day. Petra seemed to hesitate, blushing a little at the mention of those particular dragon instincts. Claire was less reserved and darted forward, catching her mother's wrist and dragging her along. Chris listened with bated breath. There were a few muffled giggles, then silence. A tiny squeal echoed out of the grotto, followed by a bit of shuffling. He could just picture Claire clapping her hands together under her chin as she took in the beautiful mural on the igloo-shaped dome walls. Shit, I forgot to clean up in there this morning. Chris realized, thinking of his miniaturized diamond farm. Come on, lads, let's go see how they like it. One of you is almost guaranteed to get a big old face full of dragon boob. Someone must have lit the grotto's tiny firebox, because the tunnel was warm. It was near the hotter limits of cozy for Chris, but he knew both his dragonesses loved the heat. Claire especially. It turned out to be Petra who was entranced by the idyllic nature scenes painted so skillfully on the curved wall. Claire was crouched down in the center of the room, carefully prodding his pile of mini-diamonds. The array of dark points was poised motionlessly above, right where he'd left them. Chris leaned down beside his curious auburn-haired lover to explain. A silly little project of mine, I like to call them sand diamonds. Here, let me get these out of the way. With a tilt of his head, the junior-sized ether spheres lifted off up to the top of the grotto like some tiny UFO invasion formation blasting off in retreat. These are safe, but you probably shouldn't touch any of my weird stuff you find lying around. In fact, let's make that a family rule from now on. Okay, good point. I wish I understood more about your magic. It's so strange that you bend reality from inside the ether. It's incredible. Claire smiled, sinking her entire hand deeper into the warm little pile of precious stone. We'll have more time for exploring that sort of stuff now. Chris nodded in agreement. You should come on an expedition or two with Haley and I. So, Petra, what do you think? This is amazing. Petra murmured, reaching up to brush her fingers across the vivid autumn leaves of a beech tree. The majestic stag stood nearby. It was painted so well that her dragon wanted to eat it. How did we earn this, Chris? What did we do? He was at a loss. He hadn't expected that reaction at all. Belthelas saved the day again with his hidden reserves of political savvy. He was really starting to lay it on thick now. Queen Glee has always been a staunch supporter of your species. The trio's de facto leader explained. Hearing of your prosperity and well-being from us will be reward enough, I'm sure. This is a simple token of her friendship. He got a face full of dragon boob. That's all well and good, but if this is our nest, where do we lounge about? Where do we sleep? Claire asked looking skeptically at the reed floor mats around the edges and the big depression of stone where they stood. A sly smile teased the corners of her mischievous lips. And what are the diamonds for? Chris could tell she guessed some portion of his designs and was hungry to unravel them. She was in a frisky mood after the evening's anticipation. It was a shame he wasn't up to his usual game. Ah, about that. There are plans, but I need a dragon or two with the stones to help me pull off a teeny bit of illegal mineral extraction. Claire frowned, she didn't get it. You want us to mine? Beside them Petra spun, rounding on him with predatory knowledge. She dropped the second goblin from her smothering embrace, mischievous green eyes taking on a reptilian slant. Her dragon was doing backflips inside her ribcage, demanding to be let loose upon their mate. A silver front of tiny scales slid up her elegantly cocked neck, across her smooth, strong jaw and flattening nose. She just had the wherewithal to limit herself to their shared form. Chris got one last glance at Yurt picking himself up and high-fiving Belthelas. Gruff shook his fist at the injustice of missing out. He had to feel for poor Gruff, this evening would probably spawn a goblin legend or two about Petra's pair after tonight. Buttons tore through holes on her form-fitting silky dress shirt, her emerging wings shredding and stretching through the back. Her bra put up more of a struggle against her wings' expansion, 
and the gilt dragoness vaporized the offending encumbrance with an arc of static electricity directly from the tip of a stunning white claw. Those perfect, pale, creamy tits jostled free, his gold flashing from the heart of her cleavage. Petra shook out her long, platinum mane with both hands and stretching her wings a little, preening in front of her mate. She stepped out of her heels, tall and proud, brushing tresses over her left shoulder with a sensuousness practiced over centuries. The dragoness stalked forward. A nest of gold. The almost feline creature hissed softly, looked up at him with piercing, vertically slitted eyes. One of her gray-fingered hands slid intimately onto his tummy, the other going to the simple pendant of his gold hanging from a black jewelry line around her neck. She'd been wearing that a lot lately. Her hand dropped the trinket, snaking gently up around his neck. On tiptoe, Petra's wings rustled as she pulled him into a tender, careful kiss. Marvelous silver teeth peaks brushed his chest, and the dragoness dragged his hand roughly on top of the swell of her womb, their son within. Chris was surprised to discover that her ardency did tug at something in the shattered remnants of his sex drive. Petra was already scrabbling at his belt buckle, and Chris groaned in a strange combination dread and resignation as he saw Claire shepherding the hooting, shearing goblins away down the tunnel. It was with a hefty dose of chagrin that Chris discovered he'd been completely missing the magical point with runes. Immy only lorded it over him for about the first two hours. In hindsight it seemed obvious, but after a few of Immy's lectures he didn't feel too foolish. However, it was clear that runes were not to be the quick and easy solution to his current undertaking. At least not with him holding the reins of any magical rune-horses. In essence, they were a written language of magic. He'd been entirely underestimating the part about it being an actual language. In that way, just as an ancient elven dialect incantations or good old American English, it was a mental system. It was an abstract architecture for storing and conveying ideas. Chris was essentially the schmuck dumped in a foreign land, armed with only a guidebook. The phrases he shouted at passersby might be correct in theory, but his mind wasn't assigning any real meaning to the noises that came from his mouth. Without fluency, he would never understand any reply, any subtlety, joke, or undertext. Nor could he hold a conversation, or grab more than fleeting words from anyone else's that it made little difference that the language was written, rather than spoken. Immy made the comparison between good runecraft and writing poetry. Indeed, his rambunctious teacher proudly explained that her own people's ancient tongue provided the basis for some of the runes in broader use today. The system that got bounced around between the magical races these days was apparently a leaky sewage pit. According to the sprite, crappy tatters of long-lost magical prowess just got cobbled together into something it was easy enough to get the very basics off. However, masters of runecraft almost exclusively stuck to their own racial dialects, hoarding their best discoveries and even taking them to their graves. I in some ancient, nebulous sprite land, Imi's little ancestors were said to have only spoken in incantation and written only with runes. That ended somewhat cataclysmically according to his latest teacher. Chris thought he could have seen that bad ending a mile off if he'd been around back then. So, the jumble of mashed together ideas and sources that Chris had been trying to feed his brain was not helping. Rune phrases were not a mathematical formulae. How could they be? They were abstract. The word fire, written in ink on paper, was not the real, scorching, crackling thing. Crafting with runes was more an effort in artistry, a lot of which relied on the emotions, hardened mental belief, and subtle intentions of the adept. Indeed, a lot of what made Imianth such a potentially potent practitioner was her indoctrination in these ancient languages. The royal princess had no doubt squirmed and fidgeted her way through decades of formal lessons before her fatefully aborted marriage. Chris pitted whoever had been in charge of making her sit still through that. For himself, to reach that sort of fluency would probably take years of academic, even cultural immersion. He needed to think, dream, live, and imagine in the magical languages before he would gain any mastery. Once again, the blunt force of his raw power struck a barrier that cared not one little bit for might alone. That wasn't to say that the last two weeks or so of Imi's involvement hadn't been productive, far from it. With runes, Chris came to understand the sort of complex, reactionary system he'd been envisioning in his magical protective wearables were theoretically possible. Imi just said that nobody had bothered with them in all but the oldest living memories. Most beings who ever had the occasion to use such a thing considered them to be prohibitively expensive overkill. If you had that much magical energy and expertise lying around, your enemies should already be dead several times over .at that very moment. Sitting in the quiet apartment for the last time, Chris contemplated it out. The prototype at the bottom of his work bag was still in its early stages, but it was a working prototype. 
Tired and content, Imianth and Chris were sharing one of the big leather recliners in Rayla's soon-to-be-vacant guest suite. Only hours ago, Imi had been proven 100% right about using one of his scales in the device. It had been critical. Despite the successful test, his dragon was still sulky about dwarves yanking painfully on his tail with blacksmith tongs and chisels. You were incredible today, Chris murmured. The sprite cooed something indistinct as his finger traced up and down the exposed skin of her right arm. They were waiting together. Actually Imi was there to babysit him and Annabelle was going to message them when everything was prepared at home. If it didn't happen soon, Chris and Imi were in danger of falling asleep. Perhaps foolishly, Chris had anticipated an abundance of well-deserved free time after finishing the house. Instead, every moment seemed to get gobbled up faster than one of Imi's magic cubes. The days seemed to speed by, and suddenly he was waving goodbye to a place that had come to form a central part of his new life. Rayla's apartments had come to feel a little like home. Furniture and fittings had been arriving nonstop at the new place, though the flow was thankfully trickling in slower these last few days. He and Susan had done several expeditions back to their old house at Jethry's for knickknacks, appliances, keepsakes, linens, etc., etc. The old war cat was one of the first to be introduced to the lair, as it was starting to become jokingly referred to. Chris didn't think he liked that name very much, but it was probably going to stick unless he came up with something better. Only Immy was likely to support him on calling it the rampant sex basement, which would have been an honest description these days. Rayla had been invited on a tour, too, and several of her official personnel had found excuses to stop by for this and that over the last fortnight. Magical building inspectors were apparently still a thing too, though these ones seemed to have an almost unhealthy interest in the quantity of energy involved in this construction. Stephen kept them mostly at bay as he finished the last details of his proud creation. The brood, especially Claire and Petra, had been bustling around on household errands for what seemed like most of their waking moments. He'd done so many trips up and down the staircase with awkward, bulky burdens that he was almost feeling nostalgic for a good old load of crushed stone. With Annabelle pronouncing them officially moved in, the cogs of whatever mischief she'd been quietly organizing were put in motion. So, now, after an exhausting day of runic experimentation, he had to await a summons just to be allowed back into his own home. Amy's company was some consolation, but she was in on whatever surprise they were hatching, just as much as Annabelle, or the rest of them. It wasn't just his house and prototype armor that had his mind churning. Haley had recently been trying to give him lessons in some more advanced math. Their next attempt to magically manage a small fusion reaction would require one of his orbs to self-regulate. Chris needed to polish off his mental calculator if he was about to manifest logarithmic functions into reality. At Claire's insistence, he also spent an afternoon looking down microscopes with Dr. Mayer. It was official, his lymphocytes could somehow attune themselves to work cooperatively with healthy human cells. He still had no idea what to think about being a walking, talking cure-all. It was a surprisingly heavy burden to know that he held the solution for infection, even cancer on such a large scale. But there would never be enough of him to fix everyone. It was a responsibility he could do without, in light of everything else. Michelle hadn't had much time for helping with the move. Her office was busy again after electronic surveillance revealed that a small arms deal they'd been tracking was just the tip of an iceberg. That cell of ex-familiars was seriously tooling up, planning to supply automatic weapons to all sorts of shady folk up and down the Midwest. Magic might be flashy and plenty deadly in a fight, but an assault rifle was still an assault rifle, whomever was holding it. There was no doubt about it. The tapestry of order in the Bean community was fraying. As provisional deadlines for the revelation drew closer, fractures and lines of stress were becoming increasingly visible. Diplomatic negotiations were heating as leaders on both sides around the globe had to stop talking in generalizations and start getting down to the nuts, bolts, lives, and cold hard dollars of such a huge international agreement. Chris was relieved that Susan seemed to be doing a lot better. Embracing the tasks of moving and settling in. However, she was now out of the rotation for refilling crystals. While their lovemaking had been much more vanilla than on the edge of the Sahara that night, the Suthazoa just would not give up energy like that. They were still struggling to catch up with their backorders, and now it was all down to Claire and Petra. Not that the dragonesses complained, if anything Petra seemed to delight in the legitimate excuse to put on a spectacle and harass him into the bedroom like a slave driver whipping her lazy charges back to work. Vibration at his side caught Chris' attention, and he had to bounce Simmy around a little to get his phone out. The tired sprite muttered adorably but got back to the business of snoozing. When he saw the caller, Chris was jolted to attention. 
Good evening, Mr. President, how are you? Chris answered quietly, his voice low in the still, dim room. Hello, Chris. I'm well enough. Chris heard a sigh down the line, a twin of the expression he'd caught himself making just minutes ago. He was about to ask about it when President Falconer continued. Look, I'm calling to talk because I wanted to explain things person to person. At least before you read something bland and officious that some underling has written. That would give anyone a bad taste in their mouth after the effort you put in. First, let me applaud you for having Michelle circulate these initiatives to the correct people. However, the consensus is that it's too much, too soon. Right now we're trying to focus on the message that life will go on as normal after the revelation. Radical changes, for instance, a fast rollout of magical fusion power is not normal. It's scary, it's disruptive, and it places the nation in a position of reliance. Damn, that's too bad. I can't really say that I'm surprised, I guess. I'm sorry, Chris. Maybe a year or two down the track when people have come to terms with living in a more magical world. Then we can work an experimental project or two into the fold, but not yet. Honestly, it's unlikely I'll still be in office by the time you see headway. Politics. Chris cursed, exasperated. Indeed. I know to someone young this all must seem stupid, and I agree. It's just the way our government works, and it's a fiercely self-protective creature. My advice is to take full advantage of our capitalist culture and pursue your ideas through a business approach. I'm sure you can find a hundred ways to make yourself filthy rich with those remarkable abilities. Then use that capital, both political and fiscal, to start the ball rolling on your more, ahem, ambitious projects. I sort of expected that to be the answer, sir. At least in the lead-up to the revelation. Well, the ideas are floating around in the open now, and Haley's not going to stop coming up with new ones anytime soon. Does NASA still want me? They certainly do, and that's a good example of how I think you'd be best served to help your cause in the early days. Magic may never be mainstream. For now I suggest you stick to the fringes and be helpful in non-obtrusive, small ways. Earn a bit of trust before you try to revolutionize our entire energy economy and way of life. Some of those briefs I read have real potential. You've got a very smart young woman on your team, Chris. It's actually quite disheartening that I have to turn you down. For now. Chris smiled into the phone. He wasn't about to give up on the vision of global prosperity Haley had painted him back in that hospital bed months before. Not that easily. Maybe I'll offer you a job if you don't win a second term. That's the spirit. Robert perked up on the other end of the line, then took on a conspiratorial tone. Listen, scuttlebutt around the hill is that anyone who's caught trying to exploit the transitional period is likely to get an unpleasant visit in the middle of the night and a hole in the side of their house. Good work, you are causing quite a stir amongst the untouchables. Untouchables? Chris wondered. You know, so rich you can't touch them. Old money, corporate money, the quiet decision makers. That's what I like to call them anyway. That's good, perhaps they'll listen to reason. I know there are a few other characters Michelle is watching in case they step out of line. Just be careful, Chris. People aren't always rational when backed into a corner and these are truly powerful people who are accustomed to getting their way. Anyway, keep up the good work. I've got to jet off to this damn fundraiser. If it doesn't go well, I'll keep the job offer in mind. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, Robert. Chris put his phone down on the armchair and looked to his contented little brewmate. She'd been silently listening, attentive and adorably wide-eyed. What do you think, Emmy? Is this whole thing going to hell in a handbasket? Probably, Master. The sprite nodded seriously. But we'll be okay. It's not just us and the girls I'm worried about. Chris admitted. We've still got to have a world worth living in on the other side of the revelation. Oh, and if we could sidestep a demonic incursion, that would be great. I can't believe the Synod is still holding back at this stage. The Sprite's unseasonably summery dress had somehow started to bunch up, a distracting prospect despite the multi-orgasmic afternoon they'd just shared. Let it not be said that his light foray into arcane literacy had been all frustration and no fun. He smoothed the errant garment back into place on her detectably silky thigh, lest she prove too tempting. Chris. Immy reached up to brush the tip of his chin, forcing his faraway eyes down to her. Master, don't pick up these burdens, they're imaginary. Your only true responsibility lies with us. The rest of the world must ultimately make its own way, no matter what you do. Besides, you're on magical probation. I'm what? Chris almost spluttered. Well, what would you call it? Narlakis may have sugar-coated it, but the Synod has their eye on you. 
The elf may be a moonishy spider but it's good advice about lying low for a while. I guess. Chris admitted. It's still smarter to think that he was the one being punished for the outcome of schemes set in motion by power-hungry elves and criminally-minded merchants. I hadn't thought about it in terms of probation though. Well start. I know you can't help poking your snout into all sorts of places. The little lecher twittered at her own cleverness. But the last thing we need is for the Senate to find out about your escapades into the dark realm of politics. Politics? Chris disdained. It was just a teeny-weeny bit of intimidation, I swear. Emmy cocked her head, giving him a look which conveyed her ample disbelief. Well, whatever you call it, it's no fair that I missed out on all the fun. Twice. Kat told me that you went to an underground vampire sex den. And having a randy sprite along would have helped me. How? Chris chuckled at her antics. Hey, I'll have you know that I can be very useful. Amy pushed herself up so she sat closer to eye level. She tried glowering imperiously up at him, determined to get some sort of concession on future mischief. I can do all sorts of useful stuff. Zapping, blasting, shields, turning people into chickens, turning people into goats, turning people into badgers. That one's not really worth the effort though, an angry badger is more trouble than your average human. And I'm good at runes, of course, and turning people into dash. I get it, I get it. Chris smiled, putting a finger to her babbling lips. If I ever need someone turned into something you'll be the first to know about it. Good. The sprite harumphed slyly. That's the least I deserve after you work me like that today. My poor tummy might never recover from that third time you unloaded in me. Lies. The dragon growled playfully, effortlessly grabbing her so he could whisper against her ear. It was immensely gratifying to hear her breath hitch and her little heart pounding in excitement, despite the fact that she was clearly baiting him. I recall you screaming yourself hoarse and almost melting my scale by bungling the power flow through the third set of runes. Amy giggled throatily, her legs wanted to quiver at the memory. Well, don't I at least deserve something for my loyal service? She tried. You're going to be getting a hell of a lot more of exactly what you deserve before we finish making this magical armor. Chris pointed out. Though I suppose I could throw a spanking or two into the bargain. I am a magnanimous master after all. Master, no. Amy squeaked in mock dismay. Oh? Well, maybe a light one. So long as my tush gets a nice long rub afterwards. That's more like it. Chris grinned. If you're extra well-behaved I might, just might, consider talking to Michelle about you coming along next time. Yay. Amy flung her arms around his neck. All right, enough, little one, don't make me regret it. What's the time anyway? Am I allowed back in my own damn home yet? Annabelle said not before seven. Amy warned with an upraised blue finger. She was clearly proud of her babysitting role in whatever the brood had cooked up to reward Chris' hard work on their new home. I'm to delay you by any means necessary. Mistress warned me that you'd probably become belligerent. I hate surprises. Chris grumbled. Belligerence. Imianth nodded sagely. Mistress is wise. Chris' eyelids narrowed. You know, I could probably work you into spilling the beans somehow. Imi's finger waggled back and forth. You'd have a hard time of it, turned into a billy goat. Touché, Sprite. Well, I'm restless and it's a quarter to seven now. Why don't we go for a stroll through the ether down on the street? That'll kill a little time. That sounds lovely. Imi admitted a little bashfully. Despite all the sex and playfulness, her times just being alone with Chris were often her most cherished moments. For Chris, the otherworldly touch of the ether invigorated as soon as he merged. The afternoon with Imi had drained his reserves, but now magic veritably poured back into him like there was a fire hose shoved down his throat. The strange growths and alien vegetation that seemed to dog his footsteps here all waved or bobbed about in response to the return of his purple radiance. To Chris it seemed that they were particularly modal today. Perhaps, like neglected houseplants, they wanted watering with his energy after a few weeks of his absence. He felt a little bad to be leaving them all behind with the apartment suite, never to return. Perhaps Susan would be interested in harvesting some of them for the apothecary shop. Emmy's doll, translucent shadow shimmered next to the ghostly armchair they just shared, then she was beside him, fully fleshed in the extra-dimensional realm. His strange purple eminence lit her dainty, upturned features harshly, making her appear uncomfortably rapturous. MMM, I would just eat you all up if I could. The sprite cooed, entranced. I think Lillian might have something to say about that. Chris deflected. That look of hers was a little too intense for comfort. 
Remind me to tell you the story about the goose that laid the golden egg. Oh. Look, that wizard's beard is blooming. Emmy looked past him, suddenly pointing and hoping excitedly. And there's a crimson spore leaf ready to go. They're all flowering. Chris followed her wild gesticulations, quickly realizing that she was exactly right. Most of the ether denizens around them were flailing unnaturally, as if churned up by a buffet of wind. Some visibly elongated as they rushed to unfurl flower buds, others wiggled or writhed disturbingly. One shrubby growth hanging near a ceiling light fixture suddenly dumped a heavy, red mist from its dark, triangular leaves. The stuff came sinking down around them on lazy currents of shadow air. Amy tugged at his hand, pulling him away from the spectacular display. I guess I know what a crimson spore leaf looks like now. Chris shook his head in puzzlement. Why the plant orgy as soon as we show up? We? Amy scoffed. You big dum-dum, that was all you. I've never seen anything like that BF heap. Amy pulled up short just before they got to the apartment door. A roundish growth near the door frame was seething from within, dirty white, but darkening as it swelled and its skin stretched. It was vibrant compared to the ghostly impression of the wall it clung on like a bloated barnacle. To Chris, it looked like a big old ball of garter snakes trapped inside a wrinkly old balloon. What the dash? A stress seam split the surface of the damn thing, then Chris was jumping backward with a yell as it ruptured. What seemed like yards and yards of gooey whitish intestines burst forth in the blink of an eye. Chris cringed in disgust as sticky brown globs of unknown goop splattered down right where he'd been standing. The sickly innards still disgorged themselves, inflating over ten or so seconds to reveal themselves as a huge, goop-flecked ball of gross, interwoven tubes. I was going to say what the fuck, but that just doesn't cover it. Chris whispered harshly, trying to avoid disturbing the hollow, spherical framework of tubes that seemed to pulse and undulate in the dim ether. Some sort of puffball. Amy explained inadequately. I think they must be trying to get their seeds on you before you leave. Well, I'm not cool with that. Chris groused. I don't need to show up to my own surprise party covered in ten kinds of plant jism. Hee <laughs> hee, they must have missed you, master. But you have to admit, is an amazing phenomenon. I didn't realize the low creatures of the ether reacted so strongly to you. About the only thing I'm ready to admit at this stage is that this walk was a terrible idea to begin with, and we should have just jumped home. There isn't any on me, is there? Only a little. Emmy batted at a few specks of yellow gunk on his jeans. Don't worry, someone will scrub you down as soon as you get home. Huh, what's that supposed to mean? Damn it. I mean nothing. Emmy. Chris loomed. The sprite pounded her little palm into her forehead and held it there. I promised I wouldn't give it away. She lamented. They weren't going to tell me because I couldn't be trusted and now I've gone and given the surprise away. They're never going to trust me again. Chris couldn't help the huge smile on his face as he pulled the distressed sprite into a hug and gently tousled her hair. He still didn't really have any firm idea what the surprise might be, but if Amy thought she'd just given it away then he probably had the leverage he needed to prize the rest of the secret loose. Don't worry little one, do you know what this means? What? His distressed little princess looked up. This means you're on my side now, my inside man, air woman. If you just let me know what I'm in for, I promise I can act surprised. Annabelle will never have to know that you spilled the beans on her special project. RRR really? You promise? It turned out to be harder than Chris expected to play his part after he found out about the evening of teasing, pampering, food, and sex he had in store. When he and Emmy jumped into the imposing entrance room of their new home, Chris wanted to dive right in and let the debauchery begin. To hell with the surprise, his cock was on the fast train to Hardtown already. It would be a sure giveaway if Annabelle saw him show up with a rampant boner.so instead he put on his best disgruntled expression, kicked off his boots, and edgily stuck his head around the doorframe into the big living room with Emmy tagging along nervously at his heels. The first one he saw was Michelle, seated at the big dining table with a big glass of red wine and her nose in her tablet. She was wearing just a silky black robe, which didn't help his anticipation problem. He smelled and heard Annabelle working on something delicious in the kitchen, but his keen ears were focused down the house toward the open bathroom door. The faint splashing sounds that drifted to him, as well as a burst of Claire's playful tones we like a siren's call. We're home. Emmy announced half-heartedly as Chris skulked toward the kitchen. Michelle turned their way with a knowing grin, while Annabelle startled to see Chris halfway into her kitchen domain before she'd realized. You're early. The slim brunette protested, hand on hip. Only a few minutes. 
Chris ogled, looking his high school sweetheart up and down appreciatively. Annabelle too was wearing a bathrobe, though hers was pink, fluffy, and short enough to be indecent. She looked hassled, almost sweaty from her efforts, her deliciously exposed thighs already looking pink. She was absurdly sexy for it. He didn't want to wait to unwrap her. No, babe, I'm not finished in here. Annabelle gestured him away when he advanced for an embrace, lusty intent written clearly on his features. She grinned mischievously as he acted crestfallen. Go see who's waiting for you in the bathroom. Michelle? You're on guard duty. Make sure he doesn't have too much fun before I get there. I'm thinking. Chris mused comically. Yes, I believe you have my attention. Lead the way. Good. Annabelle threw back at him with a playful sweat. You'd ruin all this effort with five minutes loose in here. Chris' eyes caught up to what his nose had been faithfully signaling for a while. Platters and plates of elaborate finger food, some of it still hot and steaming were strewn around the vast kitchen on nearly every available bench or perch. Hey, is that prosciutto? No way, it is. I would now like to retract my previous desi dash, this way to the scantily clad dragonesses. Michelle interrupted, taking him gently by the elbow. Chris teetered for a moment. Salty pork had its own merits. Damn, you know me too well. You coming, Amy? The sprite bounced fretfully on the balls off her bare little feet for a moment, glancing guiltily between the two who held the strings to her heart. Annabelle's eyes narrowed at the furtive body language, which was enough to make the sprite scamper away after the dragon and his dark-haired escort. The goblin brothers had outdone themselves yet again. The new house might lack for a personal or unique flavor in some respects, especially the bedrooms, which were carved into the bedrock with clone-like regimentation. The main bathroom on the other hand was an instant hit with the brood. Dubbed the harem spa by its three diminutive creators, the huge, tiled space lived up to its name when tastefully furnished under Petra's keen eye. The huge, partially sunken tub that filled the far third of the rectangular room could more accurately be described as a small pool. It was more than large enough to fit the entire brood, comfortably submerged in an extravagant volume of magically tepid water. The dragon motif was perhaps overdone with the row of saurian showerheads and faucets jutting out along the entire left-hand wall, complete with clawed feet for taps. Chris took in none of these details as Michelle pressed warmly against his captured arm, speaking softly as he paused in the threshold to appreciate the view. Claire and Haley were splashing water at each other, shrieking and chasing each other through curls of rising steam like nymphs. Petra and Susan watched tolerantly from the sidelines, reclined on wooden pooled chairs and sipping fruity concoctions. Instead of the warm water, they were bathing in the stored sunlight emitted by specially enchanted crystals mounted in small recesses on the tiled ceiling. What captured his attention was the display of swimwear and tantalizing feminine charm. By far the most conservatively dressed was Susan, wearing a turquoise form-fitting, skirted one-piece bathing suit. Personally, I think you're spoiled enough as it is without us organizing a whole evening of bikinis and sex. Michelle purred at his side, shrugging off her robe to reveal all her softly toned glory squeezed into a tiny white two-piece. But I've got to toe the party line, and I'll admit, by the look on your face Annabelle may have picked the perfect reward for all the work you put in to make our family secure and safe. That does deserve rewarding. Wow, just wow. Chris was almost salivating as the girls took note of his arrival and their play came to a wet, jiggling halt. Claire smiled wickedly and dragged the smaller blonde woman up out of the water by way of the inlaid stairs. Pace yourself. Michelle teased, detaching herself as Haley was led shyly to him by the assertive young dragoness. She was a beautiful wee thing, golden skin gleaming with droplets and all her wonderful curves hugged and accentuated by scant, yet strategic, blue fabric. Chris could clearly see her chest heaving from the water fight, the protrusions of her big pink nipples impossible to hide with such a flimsy layer. Haley has something to say, don't you, Haley? Claire prodded gently before she went on tippy toes to give her astonished mate a kiss. Her bikini was downright scandalous, a gaudy green color which clashed spectacularly with her pale, freckled skin and fiery hair. Go on, girl, tell him what you need. Haley glanced around at her audience in trepidation, squeezed her eyes shut and blurted. I want my pussy licked. This, of course, brought hoots of laughter and encouragement from Claire and Petra. Michelle shook her head in bemusement and chose a spot next to the older dragoness on the thick, knee-high edge of the sunken pool which also housed an array of newly potted ferns and succulents. Haley peeked one eye open tentatively as the ruckus died down. Gladly. Chris growled, lust overcoming his initial surprise at such a bold request from the usually timid war bison. Stepping forward, 
The beautiful young woman was easy to sweep off her feet and into a passionate, squeezing embrace. Bring it over here, lover boy. Claire called to his right, drawing his attention to a curtain-off section of the room he'd been too distracted to take in. Behind the thick, velvety drapes Claire pulled aside was someone's sturdy-framed double bed. The brood had obviously dragged it into the steamy room in preparation for the evening, shoving it lengthwise against the wall to conserve space. This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.